Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm Simon Sweetman. I'm your host, and we're up to episode 90, 90. Uh, this is a conversation I had over a year ago now with Jules Desmond. Um, he's been involved in a lot of bands and a lot of projects of music, but uh, what I first sort of got him in to talk about really was Letterbox Lambs. I was such a huge fan of that band, and um, and he's kind of the uh, well, he is the historian and archivist of that group and of many many groups around Wellington in the in the mid 90s and early 2000s. He is a he's done um, he's done record reviewing and music writing. He's uh, performed as a solo artist. He continues to perform in, in bands and with bands. He's He's been involved in a lot of stuff. So um, we we got together to have this conversation, as I say, just over a year ago, and it went very well, uh, and I'm pleased with it. But at the end of it, he sort of said to message me and said, and we were in a bit of a rush, like he had a story that I wanted him to tell at the end of the podcast, and we had to jump to that, and then he had to go and pick one of his daughters up, I think. So we were both watching the clock. But um, afterwards, he messaged me, messaged me, and he said, shit, I forgot a whole lot of bands that I was in I didn't even talk about, and, you know, I'm... Uh, Cook, you know, maybe we could do it again, and we talked about sort of splicing together two conversations. Um, I got him back more recently, and we had a really fantastic chat. And I, I, I thought about running them back to back, but that would just be too much of your time in one go. So there is going to be a second podcast with me talking with Jules Desmond, um, where we don't repeat very much of the stuff in this at all. We, and if we do, we we sort of come at it from a different angle. So. Um, yeah, look, look out for that. But um, but for right now, this is me talking with Jules about uh, his his music nerddom, his fandom, how he got into music, and then how he progressed into becoming a musician. He comes very much from a school of being a very blatant non-musician. He was just a fan of music, and he became friends with guys who who had musical talent, and he was interested in getting involved in it. And from there, he uh, discovered his own musical talents as a bass player and as a uh, now he does a lot of noise and improv uh, stuff and, and found sounds and field recordings and creating music that way. Um, you'll hear about all this sort of stuff and as I say there's lots more to hear about in a future episode but um, keep keep listening to this because near the end we get to the really cool story about him meeting one of his heroes, Henry Rollins. So I want to put that in there so you know that that's, that's coming up in this episode. Um, and then when I talk to him again we don't really get into the Henry Rollins thing. But that's a really cool story about... Um, him meeting one of his heroes and it turned out Rollins was a huge fan of his work so so stick in there for that but yeah I love talking to Jules he's a good friend and this was I, I think a great chat and there'll be another one in the weeks to come uh, so yeah this is uh, Sweetman Podcast episode 90 me talking with Jules Desmond so I guess um, I got to know you through your music before I knew you I was a big Letterbox Lambs fan and that's how and before I knew who you were I was listening to Letterbox Lambs but but how did we really get to know each other? Yeah I was thinking about that because um, we've, we've met a few obviously yeah. online but we've met and bumped into each other quite a few times yeah that's right um, but I don't think we've ever sat down and had a good no, talk like this no though. no well, like, um, yeah, well, so, well it's not a good talk yet yeah 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 I'm sure it's going to be that <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was aware of you as, as well through the writing thing. Yeah, it, you yeah. Know, as, as we talk about, we, you, you, we both did uh, music reviews for Manual magazine. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. True. Um, and so that, I think that's how I first became aware. You know, yeah, heard, yeah, heard your name. Yeah. 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 And then the dawn of Facebook. You know, which yeah. 
was nearly 10 years ago now, and I think yeah. pretty early on I, we became yeah. friends on Facebook, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. I, I feel like we kind of just got to know each other. Yeah, through that, which is kind of how people do it yeah. now, and it's not foreign to people younger than us, but we're still of a yeah. era and a generation where that happens to us now, but it's not, it's yeah. still a little bit unusual perhaps, yeah, like and, it's and not how we started off. Yeah, and we sort of joined the dots, you know, like yeah. we've got a few people in common. And yeah, and, and, and this um, terrible affliction of like music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, 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 yeah, that's uh, right, opinions. Collect, opinions yeah, and yeah. collecting records yeah. and, uh, and things like that. So, so where did you grow up? Um, so I, I was, I grew, grew up in Wainuamata, um, you know, so Wellington, the yeah. Wellington area. Yeah. I've, I've born and bred. Yeah. Um, yeah, was, uh, my, my family still live there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, my whole family, my whole extended family lived there. So it was, it was very sort of insulated yeah. sort of upbringing, but it was cool. It was a cool place to grow up in the, yeah. you know, in, in the, in the eighties and seventies yeah. and eighties and, um. I really don't know um, much about Wainui. Yeah, you know, right. Someone said to me the other day, um, uh, you know, have you, ha, how something like how often have you been there? Because yeah. you've lived in because I've lived in Wellington for over twenty years. Yeah. I said, you know, I think I've, you know, I've watched a documentary about it. Yeah. And I've you know I've driven through yeah, it, yeah, and yeah. that's about it, and I, yeah. and not for any reason. I just I guess I don't well, know. You, you don't. You know, because I'm not from here. Yeah. I never really got to know anyone that. I'm only finding out now that people I know live there or yeah. live there, I guess. Yeah, and it's not, it's not, it's not a place that's on the way to anywhere, you yeah. know. So you, you so you're from there, yeah, yeah. or you know people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, I, and it's it was quite a, for me. I mean, I didn't know anything different as a kid, but it, it's quite an unusual place in that it's, um, you know, it's in Wellington. I remember doing a school trip to to, to Napier actually, yeah. um, or Hastings, and people say, oh, where are you from? And, and we say Wellington because, you know, we're, we're from the Wellington yeah. district. And yeah. they're like, oh, Windy Wellington. And I didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah, because you protected. Why knew it wasn't windy? And, yeah. and it, it sort of had its own little microclimate. And, yeah, I mean, it was still, I think it's, you know, it's a bit of a baby boomer kind of a of a town that popped up, you know, after the Second World War. And um, so we were still, I mean, even though it was 40 years later, it was still kind of quite a pioneering mm. times, you know, mm. like, like not quite farm paddocks everywhere but you know it was just all pretty new and yeah. everyone knew each other and yeah I mean it wasn't until I, it wasn't until I finished like a rural town inside a yeah, big city yeah, yeah sort of yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and it wasn't until I, I finished high school and went to politic and people would say oh you know you where are you, where are you from you dress a bit sort of three years ago and uh, <laughs> like and you got a bit of a mullet like what's what you know where, where do you come from you know and it's oh why not and it was like oh Mm. Oh, why not? Like, um, and you must. You could have just said Hawks Bay. Yeah, it might have been yeah. easier. Well, that's right. But they sort of still like, would oh, have you, been correct. You, you, you must have seen some shit, you know, like the, yeah. the main streets of Wainui. And I was like, no, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't aware of the stigma that it has. Now, yeah, right. So, did you see the movie, the Janet Moses documentary? That's the no. one I'm talking about. The no. you know that story. I that, thought you were talking about the Chloe from Wainui. No, well, true. I've seen two two documentaries about it. Um, oh, no, 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 the you know yeah, the, 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 the I think it's called Belief. Exorcism. Yeah, about yeah, the exorcism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called Belief. It's um, it's an extraordinary film, and the only reason I asked was not just because it's part of my main frame of reference of Wainui, but mm. but because the guy who made it. As a local, yeah, and was, people, yeah. I saw it at the film festival um, last, must have been last year, and 
you know, there was a Q&A and people were quite interested in whether this guy had actually, um, I don't know, like um, paid tribute to his hometown or right. whether he'd yeah. sort of, you know, put a stake through its heart. Like people, right. people there was conflicting yeah, yeah, opinions about, about that. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a really beautiful film, mm, uh, mm. an amazing film, and, and I'm sure it's going to end up uh, on TVNZ, you know, on a Sunday night soon or something yeah, like yeah. that. And, and um, there's Rian Sheehan did the music for it, and it's that's it's right, it's sort right. of that's that's really lovely. Yeah. Um, every but it's a it's a beautiful film. Oh, Obviously, a really horrific and strange mm. story, but some really cool shots of Wainui Yamada because it sets the scene and talks about because yeah. it, it talks about this um sort of and Havelock North has a similar thing like a kind of strange energy around the town like being surrounded by like hills, hills and bush. being yeah, yeah yeah like Havelock there's this big are you familiar with like Havelock North's got this whole sort of um, uh, folklore about lots of witches live in the hills of Havelock North like white witches oh, yeah, 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 yeah 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 wow yeah so um, I I've sort forgotten of about yeah, yeah yeah so yeah. I sort of connected with that watching that film yeah thinking, yeah I um you know like I didn't know anything different like I said and, and it wasn't until um you know, and then you finish high school and you're like, oh, I'm out of here, I'm, off, I'm yeah. off to live in a warehouse in the big city, you know, yeah. and be bohemian. Yeah. Um, you know, fuck, <laughs> fuck my hometown sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. And it, I had that attitude for quite a while. And mm. then um, and then it was, I did some traveling around Europe about 10 years ago. And when I came back, those green hills and yeah. that energy you're talking about was just, it was like, oh man, this is the pool of home, you know, and... Yeah. and, and and it will always be home. And, and I, 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 when I got back from overseas, I, overseas, I really wanted to. Not, I was only over there for a trip. I didn't live over there, but it, it, I was like, oh, I really want to live here again, you know. And it, it's still an affordable place to buy a house. So mm. I was thinking along those lines. And yeah, I, I sort of didn't end up doing that, and I probably never will. But yeah. I, it is still home, you know. I think it is. It has it has its problems, and it is a little bit broken in some some ways. But it's still still home and there's yeah. still there's still places like I just um it's a bit silly but I, I just we just you know we're kids and stuff so I did just did my will recently and yeah. then I put that you know oh you gotta th- we might as well start thinking about what we want to do when we die you know what, yeah. what happens with us and I said oh well I want to um I want my ashes to get put down the, the Wanu River you know so I can be put so I can be all through yeah Wanu you know um and so it is yeah it's kind of it's, it's it is home. Yeah, it's interesting this the conflict that we sometimes have with where we grew up, or the you know the tension around it, or or the ownership, and the pull, and then also the difference between you know like the stigma around places and the difference of being sort of a visitor versus a local. Mm. And we were talking before we started recording about Oakland, and mm. and you've got a fascination with the Bay Area, yeah, um, metal scene, which we we might get into, but. Um, <laughs> We, come, we got back and everyone we've told that we spent time in Oakland and how much we loved it, pretty much everyone's like, oh, God, did you feel safe? Yeah. Like, uh, Oakland's the most, you know, one of the most violent places in America. Murder capital. Murder so capital, yeah, all yeah, this yeah, sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And you'd never know it from, we smelled weed everywhere, which mm. was a nice um, smell to smell, frankly, walking yeah. around the street. All over San Francisco. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. No, no different from being in San Francisco. Yeah. And, and maybe it's because we knew people who lived in a particular area of Oakland and yeah. they showed us around but um, you never having done n- no research into it really before yeah. going apart from you know knowing a couple of small things about the place um, 
I, I, you never would have. I mean, for example, we went to this Jonathan Richmond concert, which is a, a very you know white thing to do, and <laughs> I would think a very white nerdy yeah, yeah, thing yeah. to do, and it was fucking great. And it was ten minutes walk from where we were um, staying, and my brother-in-law said, "We'll get a cab." And I go, "Why? It's ten minutes walk." And he goes, "Oh yeah, but there is, it's no problem really, but there are a couple of streets that um, aren't great to walk past." So we're going to get a cab. Yeah, right. And so I guess when, when you know someone like that, they, you yeah. know, so we didn't actually see, whereas if we were tourists without yeah. any local knowledge, we might have found ourselves in a situation where we went, oh, we're a bit out of our depth. Yeah, here. but then on the other side of it. Or we wouldn't have been oblivious to it. And yeah, just, well, yeah. yeah, well, I guess on the other side of it, though, you, you, you have the local, and you, so you feel safe and you see the good side. When it came to Oakland, when I was over there last year, I, that was a big part of the reason I didn't go because it was like, oh, you don't want to go to Oakland, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, and, and it's scared because I was traveling on my own. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. okay, well, maybe I'll flag it, you know? And Yeah, well, I would have been the same mm. if, if I'd heard much about it beforehand. Yeah. It's only after everyone's gone, oh, like, like you survived. Yeah, yeah. Like, not only survived, had a great time. Yeah, a great you know? time, and if you have that <laughs> quite, local knowledge. Quite you know? keen to go back, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so when does music sort of enter the picture for you? Is that oh, university years? Or no, what? no, like from... The womb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my dad's a musician, you know, yeah. and and um, my parents were, you know, like reasonably young for the, for the, you know, so I had kind of young, yeah, hip, hip parents, I guess. Yeah. And so dad was a musician, or is a musician still, and um, he, but as well as being a musician, he worked at, um, in, you know, in his sort of late teens into his early twenties, I, I guess, at the EMI. Oh, yeah, warehouse yeah. and the polygram in, yeah, in, in yeah. town uh, in, the, in the warehouse yeah. so he had an awesome record collection mm, mm. and um, so records were and played loud were, yeah. were, were a big part of growing up of, just yeah, life yeah just like yeah and, and you know he, and all sorts of things I um, take it or was he quite specific he, with... he's got a lot he's got a quite a varied record collection but the stuff that was being played a lot was a lot of that 70s hard rock stuff yeah. but the um, Led Zeppelin, your Deep Purple, Uriah Heep, and yeah. and a, a Welsh band called Budgie were yep, were, yep. were were big. Uh, yeah. I still love, I still love that. You know, that's sort of the music of my childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and Dad played in 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 hard rock bands as well. You know, yeah, he's, he's a drummer, so he he um. We you know we had we had band practices in a, in a house. You know, I remember being two years old hitting these guys practicing in the spare room kind yeah. of thing you know yeah, but, classic. Um, yeah yeah and we always had a drum kit in the house and stuff yeah mm. so when do you take i guess ownership of an instrument and oh, not too much interest. later okay. yeah yeah well um so you're an, a listener yeah yeah i was a listener hooked I, on music but not formally yeah, and, and a bit like yourself i think you would analyze I, I would analyze yeah like drum fills and 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 you know licks and, yeah, yeah. and you just be listen obsessively but um and i remember dad when i was a kid brought me home an old electric guitar that was sort of in his band practice room and it had two strings and yeah. so i'd sort of play it was more of an ear guitar thing yeah, yeah. you know um but i never i played an instrument actually the, this you know we talked about it earlier and I guess it's going to come into the story is that, you know I went I went to the Steiner school but later on and yeah and I, and I played um I played violin for a couple of years in there and and you know music's quite a big focus at that school so yeah we could all weirdly like I remember being able to sight read music 
when I was eight or nine. Creativity is the sort of focus, yeah, right? yeah, uh, yeah. Essentially, a, yeah, uh, like an ethos type. Yeah, yeah. Without it, without them sort of saying that, it just is. Yeah, yeah. And but I can't, I can't read a note of music now. It's right. just gibberish to me yeah. now. But I, you know, back then I could sight read. And, and, but um, you know, in the teenage years, everyone my age who was playing was doing that steep Vai yeah, shriek guitar. Yeah, and it was about showing off your chops, and that and that was quite that was quite daunting. Mm. You know, mm. and so I was just like, okay, well, that's. I, 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 I can't, yeah, I, yeah, can't I can't do that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm yeah. never going to be able to do that. So. And were you? When did you kind of feel like you took ownership over a music collection yourself? Was it the shared thing amongst the house? And yeah. Did you break off and when you were still living at home? Did you break yeah. off and have your own? You yeah. Know? Well, Dad, Dad got me started for my fifth birthday. He got they got me um, damn torpedoes for oh. torpedo. That was yeah. Like the beginning wow. of my. Uh, I've still got that copy yeah, as well. Wow. You know, I, I had kids' records. Yeah, 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 and yeah. Stuff, but that was my first music record. Wow. Was, you know, Song Refugee was yep. big. And, and I was really into Kiss then yep. as well. They were big. And, and, you know, that was my first concert when I was five years old. We were going to Kiss. Yeah. You know, so that, that I didn't have any Kiss records. No. But, um, yeah, and he was really open with me. You know, he, he showed me the proper way to take, you know, carefully put records on. Yep. and. And he was totally fine with me, you know. I'd have the headphones, and I listened to a lot of the Beatles, his Beatles records. Yeah. And um, and then, and then when I was probably around nine or ten, music you used to get a music voucher, and you yeah. birthday card, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Was sort of a standard. So that's when I would generic music voucher that you could use at the yeah. local. And I'd go and buy tapes. Yeah. Back then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. I still remember the first. The first two tapes I bought with the mu- first music voucher I got were I was, I'm, was, I was quite proud of this like they're not too shameful was Midnight Oil's Diesel and Dust oh, yeah. and U2's Joshua Tree yep. bought yep. at the same time and yep. I'm like that, that's pretty good yeah mine yeah. was Aha's Hunting High and Low well that's probably better actually <laughs> now I, well, I still like it, it. That's what, I'd probably be more inclined to want to hear that now yeah, yeah. but at the time I might not have but yeah. that's a pretty great album yeah yeah well I, I like their second one Scoundrel Dates yeah. Yeah. and because I, I would buy tapes and I remember dad saying to me like oh yeah, but if you buy records yeah. There's this thing called a C90. Yeah. You can get two el- you can get an album on each side, you know? And so yeah, you know, for Christmases and birthday, you know, you get the familiar square present yeah. And, yeah. and there'd be a record and, and dad would always include a C90 with it, oh, you nice. know, so I'd yeah. have it for my Walkman or right. yeah. And did you get into recording his records yeah. for, for yourself? Yeah, yeah. yeah That's yeah. how I got into Bowie actually, like um the movie Labyrinth. <laughs> came out and I was like oh yeah I like that and I like that soundtrack mm. I wonder what David Bowie Records dad's got and yeah. then I found a C90 cassette actually with Ziggy Stardust on one side Rise and Fall and Scary Monsters mm. and that and to this day those are my two favourite yeah. Bowie records you know and, and I remember I had a sick day off school and I just you know, listened I, to it on repeat they're the first two original Bowie albums I ever heard like I, right. I, I heard you know, compilations. Yeah. I think my mum had a Best of Bowie tape and then my brother got the Changes Bowie mm. compilation tape. Yeah. But they are the first two original albums I heard. A friend had, he chose to make, buy those two on CD. It was and a compilation. So they've always been very special to me. Well, that's a, yeah, I've run into a few people. Scary Monsters mm. is a big one it's for a lot of people. It's quite a strange choice. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, actually, that's, you know... 
because a lot of people say that's where it stops for yeah, Bowie, you know, yeah, like yeah. that's 19, end of the 70s, yeah, into, yeah. into the, into the, the very start of the 80s, yeah. and that's it. But I've always been a defender of Let's Dance. Yeah. You know, I think it's a... Oh, I like it now, yeah. It's I, a I, pretty I was good one of those record. people for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a lot better record than... Or, or it has enough going for it yeah. that it's unfair to write it off and say that it's... Yeah. You know, uh, maybe just, it's a victim of its success a little bit too, like yeah. of having like three really big... Yeah, achieving true. singles true, yeah. maybe it's that I can't I, one thing I couldn't get my head around you know I had the Ziggy Stardust on one side and I loved the band where mm. Mick, Mick Ronson was amazing mm. and then you know Scary Monsters sounded so different and I, and I was saying to Dad like what you know Mick Ronson's guitar playing is so different he's like yeah. nah it's not Mick Ronson you know and it, yeah. and it wasn't a band you know yeah. I, I had a lot of that was like what it's amazing that those sorts of things. I um, the first concert I saw, big. Well, my parents took me to listen to DD Smash for free <laughs> outside the gig, cheapskates. Um, <laughs> but the first big name concert I saw was Eric Clapton, and yep. it was when he. I was a massive fan of him at the time, and uh, and uh, you know it was before he'd sort of done Tears in Heaven and gone unplugged and mm-hmm. gone really cappuccino. But now. Uh, now I don't really like much of his solo career at all, but then I was a massive fan, so yeah. it was a, a cool thing to see. And the opening act was Midge Marsden, yeah. who had Burning Rain out yeah. at the time, and that was a big deal. And he, had, you know, he had this good band, Midge Marsden. I, was I don't Darren remember. playing with him then? Was it? No, I don't think he was. Oh, but, that later. But, yeah, but I, I um, I, I can't remember who was. I'm sure he had a female guitarist. Um, and I seem to recall that. And anyway, it was a really good band, and I remember. We watched the set and we were all pretty chuffed because it was first big concert for the whole family. We travelled to Auckland for it. We're on our way to Aussie for a holiday. And I remember having this conversation with my dad. I was about 13 or whatever. And my dad goes, that was really good. You know, pretty good band too. And I, I leaned over and was like, yeah, I can't wait to see what they're going to sound like with Clapton. I was just convinced that <laughs> yeah. like, there's no way he'd bring his right, band right, from the record yeah, yeah, yeah. out. And then, and my dad's like, uh, I think he'll have his, his own, own band. band. Yeah. And I was kind of like, really? Like, I'm looking forward to this. And then, you know, he's got, his band is like the keyboardist that played on fucking Thriller. And yeah, right, the, the yeah. drummer from the Average White Band. And um, the guitarist had played with Dire Straits and all these, you know, like, yeah. the key, the keyboardist played with the Stones. It was just this super group of touring and session, session yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. guys. Yeah. And so I still you know after that went home and looked them all up and researched them and yeah, found right. out who they all are but yeah it was funny that idea of oh this this pickup band is going to play with him yeah 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 <laughs> it, it, it was yeah because I, I was very much into bands you know and, mm. and like my Tom Petty record I would turn it over and you would go okay you know it's Mike Campbell and be Mike mm. Kent you know you knew you knew their names because you studied the, yeah. the and this is this thing which we always sort of talk about in terms of any nostalgia towards record collecting as the liner notes yeah. and the, the physical copy and studying everything and, and, and that's I guess that's lost on people that didn't have that mm. and I'm not um, knocking them for that no. it doesn't matter I mean you can get that information in other ways now yeah. and also if that information is not important to you that's also alright yeah. but it was very much part of the ritual yeah. as oh, far absolutely. as I was concerned yeah. when I met that guy um Brian Liu in, in, in San Francisco, mm. you know, from the Bay Area metal mm. scene, he was blown away that a, a guy from New Zealand 
was in, knew of these bands, you know, yeah, and, and right. sort of not not an encyclopedic knowledge, but knew these guys' names. And yeah. and he said, well, how, how did you, you know, how did it get to you? And it was sort of like, well, one tape would find its way to the local, and it was always a tape, yeah. to the local record store. You, so one of my Someone friends would, would buy it, it, you would share it around. And you'd analyse the yeah. thank you notes, and then you'd go, okay, here's the bands. Mm. That's a list of bands I need to check out from that scene. Yeah, yeah. It's pre-internet, you know, and yeah, and and, he, and that kind of blew his mind. And he was in the middle of writing the um, liner notes for the Metallica um, reissues at the time, and and he sent me a cool note afterwards saying I was kind of I was kind of a bit blocked, but you know, just talking to you about that liner note stuff made me realise how important that stuff is. So, so I'm I'm, I'm going to get into it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and and so and that, I think they're starting to come out now. The big Metallica. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool, you know. And, like, and when does the music press come into it for you, like magazines? Oh, so because that's a big part of everyone's journey, press, yeah. isn't it? Right, like that's part of the sharing music experience and, and particularly in the learning. Like reading magazines, yeah, you mean? yeah. 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 So, um, from the from those that nine or ten age, I would yeah. I would buy like Smash Hits, yeah, number one, yeah, and um, Shake magazine was a local yeah. one, Murray Kamet yeah. magazine. Um, you know, you buy them. Yeah, I won. Um, I won Poison's "Open Up and Say oh. R" on tape from um, Shake Magazine. Did you? Yeah, <laughs> it's the only competition I entered. I yeah, must, yeah. I don't remember being so, you know, obsessed with Poison that I wanted to win the tape. I don't know what made me. Just like, there were five copies of the tape, and I, I can remember um, getting home from school and being in trouble for something. Up, you know, and if it got back to my parents that I was in trouble for something at school or whatever. Yeah. And my dad was home from work, you know, which was odd. He must have taken time off, whatever. And and, um, and he was like, oh, I'm not going to give you this. And uh, he, that opened it. Oh, right, and they right. knew yeah. that I won this tape. And, yeah. and I was so amped about yeah, yeah. this tape. Yeah. My dad's like, no, no, I want this. And he looked at the cover and he was like disgusted by that. <laughs> cover and he was like no this is my favourite and yeah, put it yeah. in his top pocket you know and taunted me for yeah. about half an hour before he gave it to me yeah. <laughs> it was such a big deal when he yeah, yeah 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 well, and, and and you know that and yeah, exactly right you know and it's little old New Zealand back yeah. then right it, it, yeah so I, you know I'd buy those that's it you think like, you know I thought the band had sent it to me or something yeah, quite yeah, a bit yeah. away you know like yeah. this has come from America not yeah. not the local record supplier has just <laughs> chucked it in, <laughs> in yeah, there yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, you know, I'd buy those magazines because you know you started to get to that age where you want to have posters on your wall yep. and stuff like that, yeah. and you'd end up reading the articles, you know, and, yeah. and then that led on to you know, Rip It Up was free at the time, mm. you know, so mm. I'd pick up that was the like the local version of the NME yep. or whatever, you know, yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, and so it was just sort of like a natural natural progression. And so, how do you fall into um metal becomes yeah the passion I guess within music yeah I think you know that came I think from dad dad played in a it was, he played in a hard rock slash metal band you yeah. know and, and so he and Radio of Pictures was a big thing for you know you talk to anyone yeah 10 years older than us or whatever yeah. you know even our age you know mm. sitting around watching Radio of Pictures was mm, mm. like you were getting it beamed into you dad would take on VHS radio of pictures, so yeah. we would watch it. And I remember, you know, distinctly stuff like Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast. Yeah. Um, the, the bigger deal, you know, like people talk about how what a big deal Thriller was, the Thriller video, and that and that yeah. was was a big deal. Like I remember yeah, the streets yeah, yeah. being quiet when that came on the TV. You know, everyone watching it, but 
an even bigger deal for me was Radio with Pictures played Kiss Lick It Up video. It was the first time they'd been seen without makeup, you know? Yeah. And it was like, whoa, wow. here it is. Here comes some leopard skin yeah. leotards <laughs> and cowboy boots. And then it pans up and then it's like, whoa, who's who, you know? And, 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 and so, yeah, that, that led into the metal thing for a while. And then I got into the, I sort of rebelled against dad's music. Yeah. And went into like yeah, kind of a pop new wave thing that you know I think kids do. I was really into yeah, pseudo echo was yeah. you know like they came out with Funky Town yeah, and then I but I bought the earlier records and I mean I still really like that first record. Yeah, it's kind of a, like a it's a good new romantic. So is that song? What's that other like the beat, there, beat, there's yeah, a beat for yeah, you, yeah, that's yeah, a great song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I think Aussie. You know, Ice House and those kind of yeah. things, they did a really good line in that kind of synth yeah. pop. Yeah. Um, and then, and then at some point, in excess, you know, Kick, Midnight Oil, you like you talked about, yeah, it was that, totally. it was that yeah. era. Yeah, in excess, Kick was a huge record. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, um, and then at the end of, I remember at the end of Intermediate, um, just as I was about to hit high school, it must have things must have taken a couple of years or a year to get here by then because yeah. it was definitely the hysteria and Guns N' Roses appetite for yeah. destruction but this was 1988 this yes. was a year after yeah, both yeah, of those yeah. records came out and that, but they really seemed to explode mm. around then and yeah I remember yeah they were both big, big yeah yeah I remember about hysteria yeah. and, and being kind of disappointed at how poppy it was and then I found Dad had some Def Leppard records yeah. he had High and Dry and that was more like ACDC yeah, yeah. and that was awesome and I was really into that Guns N' Roses um, album for the summer of 1988, yeah. 89, you know. And then then I started high school at Wainuiomata College. And I remember sort of getting thrown into this class of people I didn't know because I'd come from a different school. Mm. And um, getting sat next to this guy and just saying, you know, he's like, what? The first thing we said was, what music are you into, you know? Yeah. And it's the sort of measure, you know. And it was like, you know, we're, I'm, I'm into metal, you know. Oh, cool, me too. And we were both into that Guns N' Roses album, but kind of looking for something else. And he had he had the Metallica Ride the Lightning cassette, and he gave me that. Yeah. And um, and I borrowed it for ages. And, and, I, and I put the... F- you know that album, mate. Eh? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So it starts off with the acoustic intro and then it's the song Fight Fire with Fire which is probably one of the fastest that's my favourite album of theirs but I just never heard anything that heavy yeah and it was too heavy it yeah. was like whoa this is this is weird you know I, I don't I, think I, I heard that until like kind of late high school right yeah I, I had it took like me it, about it four made, it made sense but in fact I don't think I heard it until yeah I definitely don't think I heard it until sort of I'd heard the Black Album. And yeah. I had quite a soft entry to the Right, right. Went backwards from there, you know. Cool. Well, I could have yeah. did them chronologically from there, even though it was like five years after that after, album came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, It came, it started there, and, and it took me ages to get past that first song. But once I did, it was like, wow. Yeah. It was great. And Dad had some metal, heavy metal magazines, so I'd started sort of getting into them. And I really liked the way Metallica looked. They didn't wear leotards and stuff. They just wore like... Yeah. Je- je- you know, jeans and high top sneakers like yeah. what I was wearing and, and why know you're mad at tuxedo yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know denim vests and, and band t-shirts so I just like the way they look like normal guys yeah. but I wasn't quite prepared for how heavy 
they sounded yeah. for that first song anyway. But then as you get on, as you get into other songs on that album, there's heaps of melody and heaps of dynamics and stuff. And, and it, yeah, I was they were a big band for me, yeah. you know. And I, they kind of still are, you know. Like the just for those first four albums. Mm. And even that fifth album, you know, like that's got some. Well, that was such a gateway. Like that, yeah. that was my pro- yeah, right. proper entry to them. I'd, I'd, I'm sure I'd heard bits and pieces of some of the earlier stuff. Yeah. I definitely knew one. Yeah. I had friends that liked Metallica, and I heard, you know, snippets of yeah. tapes. But probably the Black Album was really my proper entry. Yeah, well, that's kind of when we lost them, you know. Like yeah, that, I know. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, the first fifteen, I listened yeah, to yeah. them now, and, <laughs> and you know, like yeah, yeah, they're gone, you know. Yeah. And and I heard. A, you know, one of the girls coming, nothing else matters. So. I assume you've seen them live. I never have. Oh, really? Never have. Okay. Because yeah. I would say, I've seen them twice, mm. and um, um, counting a big day out performance that I sort of walked away from yeah. but um, to see something else. But I saw them when they did the Fuel... Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. but fuck, great show. Was no. that the one at the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. heard it was. He like you know? a hole open for them. Yeah, right? like, yeah, like like shitty <coughs> shitty album. Yeah. Know? But um, really good. Yeah. Really good show. I'd sort of gotten they out, did of, this out of acoustic, oh, like really? medley of um, stuff from Killamore. Like oh, really? they came and played, and on, like they moved. Oh, they did a smaller their little, cat, yeah, with you know, their little amp, yeah, yeah, their yeah, garage, yeah, 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 garage, yeah. Like a not not acoustic, but yeah. like a stripped down practice. Down, practice yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Seen them do that actually, and that was actually fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, that was sort of I think that was around ninety six, ninety seven, yeah. and, and I was I was playing in a band there. Yeah, and yeah. Metal, metal, metal wasn't cool, you know. Yeah, so yeah. it was sort of like. Well, I, let's get away let's get to that then. So when so when do you start playing in bands? Uh, so I started playing in, in so Letterbox Slams was, was your was, first was my band. First band, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so this band came to me. Um, I was was one of the bands I sort of identified with um, in my early years of moving to Wellington. I came here in '95 to do university, and um, I sort of you know, hit like a hole. And it already existed, but hit like a hole in Shehard and. Letterbox Lambs and King Loser, which is not a Wellington band, yeah. but like they were just paid a lot, paid a lot yeah, yeah, yeah. And then obviously those sort of rites of passage, seeing things like mm. Chris Dox at the Dagger, yeah, yeah. seeing Paulie Barnard Jones, you know, at the Dagger. Yeah. Yeah. They seem to be playing every other week. Though, yeah, and those sorts of thing, experiences were really, really formative for me, but sort of what Letterbox Lambs, I think, kind of offered, um, and bands like Garage Land and Superette, and that sort of was I, I sort of thought of it as a second wave of Flying Nun, but it was probably really a third wave yeah, probably, yeah. of Flying Nun. But, but, you know, it felt like my entry point to yeah. a lot of that stuff because I couldn't really claim. I loved the clean and yeah. the villains and chills and stuff, but I couldn't really claim any sort of ownership over those bands. But we could go and see Letterbox Lambs. We could yeah. go and see these other bands. But I think Letterbox Lambs, I, I, I really um, arrived at the band because a friend of mine recorded a live-to-ear off be um, radioactive, <laughs> which you, which you've got on a cassette tape here, <laughs> yeah. labelled shit. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. Because um, it's a, but we were obsessed with it because it was all yeah. we knew, before we saw the band play. It was sort of all we knew. So we used to, it, it accompanied us in the car stereo when we still had a tape deck. Yeah. Up, up and down one summer in particular, up and down trips from Hawkes Bay to Wellington, and we became sort of obsessed with this band. So this band. You went on to record a couple of albums. You guys pl- toured. Yeah. You know, you didn't just play Wellington. Mm-hmm. You um, 
Probably um, didn't tour enough, but yeah, we, we, but did, you we did, did a few tours. And you did yeah. quite a few things like open for bands like Garage Land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Internationals as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We opened for presidents of the United That's right. States of America. I actually saw that. That's right. Yeah. Yes, I went to that. I was. I remember that. I was because I've been really. Um, I'd, uh, uh, opening bands in Wellington is around that time in the sort of early to mid 90s got a really rough deal. I remember yeah. seeing Faith No More. I think it was Faith No More. Yeah. At the town hall, and the support band got booed off, like yeah. sh- sh- pelted with shit. Yeah. And so I was, and yeah, what, that wasn't an isolated incident. It, yeah. It, people were, just wanted to see the. Was that the Angel Dust tour? Yeah. That yeah. was such a great show, though. Oh, yeah. Amazing. That's, they're, a top show for me like of yeah, all time That's, they never disappointed me like that no, band. even same. when I wasn't really into them I went and saw them on that last album tour and they yeah. were really good yeah but, I, mean, I haven't seen them since they reformed but I saw them the three yeah, albums yeah, in a row yeah. in Wellington at three different venues with three different guitarists yeah. and they were every show was fucking great yeah, yeah. amazing yeah. And um, but we, we opened and people were really into it Yeah, you know? and it was like a packed yeah. uh, Queen's Wolf and we played with yeah, we played with a few. Uh, we did a we opened for Supergrass yep. at the town hall. Yep. Um, yeah, we did a Yola Tingo um, Dirty Three. I mean, they're not like a massive international, yeah, but yeah. We, we did an orientation thing in Christchurch. Um, Paul Keane from Bats yep. was doing orientation then, and he sort of liked us enough yeah. to get us down there, which was really cool. So, how did this band come about? And it's your first band, which is yeah. interesting. So. It's quite a cool first band experience to go from yeah. the practice room to the sort of achievement that a lot of first bands don't make for people. I, yeah. I mean, it's easier now in a sense to put a record out and stuff, absolutely, but to get a following, to yeah. put records out, to... Uh, I mean, I know the albums, the official albums came later yeah. after all of yeah. this gigging and so forth, but, yeah. but um, how did this band So, yeah, together? it's sort of... We have to go back a little bit... Um, it might be a bit of a ram- ramble warning here. I might go off on some tangents <laughs> yeah, here. But, um, so, uh, grew up in Wanyamata. My I've got an auntie. My mum's sister is the, almost exactly the same age as me. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a yeah, bit of yeah, like a 20-year yeah. age gap between my mum and her yeah. little sister. She's, we're three weeks apart, so we were sort of almost like grew up as twins almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she went to a Steiner school. She went to the Steiner school in the hut in its sort of pioneering days. Um, you know, R- R- Rudolph mm-hmm. Steiner school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just went to a, the old state school around the corner from mm. me in, 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 in Wainuiomata. And then um, at some point, it just seemed like one day my grandmother said, hey, um, what do you think about going to Irina's school? You know, that's my auntie. And I said, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. I've, you know, it sounds pretty cool. They play recorders and stuff. Yeah. You know, that seems pretty cool. And um, have lantern festivals and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it a go, you know, not really thinking <clears throat> much about it. And so that day I just I told my, my old school, hey, I'm not going here anymore. <laughs> and the next day, and I found out later from the from our teacher, because we have the same teacher all the way through, my grandmother just turned up with me one day and said, he's in your class now. You know, like mm-hmm. there was no warning. It was So it wasn't organised at all. So that was pretty cool. And then anyway... The school's in the Belmont Hills, and there's this path that winds its way up the hill. You know, there's this zigzag path, and it's this, it seems like you're climbing Mount Everest when you're a kid. And I'm getting to the top of this path, and this kid bursts out of the bush because it's surrounded by mm. bush. And he's like, G'day, who are you? You know, and I was like, Oh, you know, introduce myself. And he's like, Oh, I'm Paul, you know, and it was Paul Trigg. 
and so we were like seven, seven yeah. going on eight. He was probably eight then, and um, and he was just this kind of like, you know, that set the tone for me for that school really, just mm. this friendly, mm. you know, introducing yourself kind of, kind of, kind of kid, and that you know that's kind of that's kind of Paul, this kind of naive um, but really warm kind of dude, you know. Mm. Um, so. And we, we sort of became, we were firm friends from then on and, you know, through the Def Leppard and, and yeah. he, was really into, <laughs> he was really into Dire Straits when we were at school, you know, while I was into AHA, he was into Dire Straits and Martin Offler because yeah. his dad's from Newcastle, I think, so, and, right. you know, you know and, yeah, 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 his, his, local hero. Yeah, but, <laughs> but he, he doesn't have a Geordie accent though, mm. but he, he, sound, he, he sounds very similar to Martin Offler when he speaks yeah, actually. Right. Yeah, 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 like a different kind of a... yeah. And um, anyway, I digress. And um, yeah, so and then that that particular Steiner school at the time went up to f- the end of intermediate, so f- what we called Form Two mm. back then. Mm. Um, so the option was either you went to a local uh, high school, you know, a state school, because at the time this was a private, mm. you know, private school, not in the sense of sort of like elite uniform or anything, but it was a wasn't state funded, and. So the options were go to a state school or move go either to board or move the whole family to the closest science school, which was the Hastings one. Mm. And a phenomenal amount of the people chose that option, move the whole family to the Hawke's Bay, including my grandmother with my auntie. She moved up to um, bought a house in Hastings yeah. to continue the Steiner experience and Paul Trigg's family. Did as well, and a few other characters who we talked about, yeah, you know, the, yeah, yeah. the Hybers, Minnow and Nils, yeah. and um, uh, Davy Gidd, who, yeah. who was the, became the drummer in the Box Slams. <clears throat> so I had a grandmother in, in the Hawks Bay now, yeah. and every every school holidays that was an exciting get on the bus and go to Hastings, you know, like yeah, yeah. from Wainui, that was that was the big city, and yeah. so I'd get there and um, the your first person I'd call would be Paul Trigg, you know, and, hey, what are you up to? I'll, I'll pedal, pedal my way out to you. He lived yeah. on an asparagus farm, <laughs> sort of on the edge of Hastings and Clive, yep. near Clive. Yeah. So I'd bike out there and we'd go and hang out and, and I would I would sort of bring the tapes of what I'd been listening to and, and you know, I'd have, have sleepovers on the mattress on his, on his bedroom floor and he would sort of play each other this kind of like playlist of what we're into you know and, and he had a skateboard ramp out in the in the <laughs> sheep shed and it was you know I was playing him a lot of Metallica yeah I was just going to ask that yeah, were, yeah, you, were yeah. you trying to impress upon him yeah well I was just I've showing got, him I've gone yeah. heavier than Def Leppard you know? yeah yeah so yeah. he was like oh yeah they're not really into this and he, and would, he was, was really he? into hip hop right he, I mean, he's always been into a weird mix of stuff, but he was really into like gangster NWA, like, right. really wow. like, oh my gosh, this is naughty kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And he was into, he'd started playing the guitar by then, so he was reading guitar magazines and learning stuff from the tab, tab yeah. pages that they had there. So, and I remember he'd learned some Black Crows, so he was really into the Black Crows, and he was into Jane's Addiction. Yeah. And we kind of bonded with Jane's Addiction because they're kind of metal, yes. but they're kind of not, you know, they're yeah. kind of this alternative metal. Yeah, yeah. So there were these little moments right. like that where they we were They were sort of metal for the cool, skater, yeah, yeah, cool yeah. skaters and, and yeah. not quite indie kids because they didn't know that's what they were yeah, that's right. at yeah. the time. So we, yeah, we would yeah. sort of meet, have these little meetings like that. And then mm. as I got to sort of 15, 16, I, I started tuning into Radioactive 
which was quite a mission because I lived in rural Wanumata, you know, right. out in the country. So I'd have to have I had all this wire threaded around my room and, and connected to the aerial of my ghetto blaster, you know, so wow. I could pick it up and, yeah. and I would just hit record whenever a song came on that I liked. And I would take these tapes up to to Paul and you know, yeah, like stuff like Mud Honey. Hearing Nirvana before Nevermind yep. came out, you know, um, yeah. and it, it was a guy Matt. Do you know Matt Thompson? He's a Hawks Bay guy. No, I don't think he, I he was a DJ, Jack, right. DJ Jack Pepsi, who I got to know. And he, yeah, I, just, I would just tune into this show. I was like the regular sort of nerdy fan that would ring up and talk <laughs> to them all night. You know, yeah. it was on eleven to one or something, and I'd yeah. sort of be on the phone, you know, like so my parents couldn't hear me. And um, but. I remember, yeah, he'd like he'd like a hole coming on that show, you know, mm-hmm. like he, hearing them for the first time. Um, stuff like older stuff like Black Flag and and just just those little little sparks that I'd have when I'd go out and play these tapes to Paul. He'd go, "Wow, I really like that," you know, and yeah. And then he would sort of have his guitar and he would sort of be able to like by ear copy them, and it, which mm. was really impressive to me, you know. Mm. So yeah, we just had this sort of ongoing. And you're still not playing no no you're his cheerleader yeah in yeah, a way yeah yeah, yeah 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 i mean he would show me a couple of things on the guitar which was really kind of encouraging because yeah. no one everyone back at my school you know went to one of college mm. and there's some great people but all the musicians it was very not really showing you it was sort of like check this out yeah, yeah yeah and and so i was like oh just i was sort of a member of the audience here but paul would, was very really encouraging you know mm. and um yeah, and so that yeah that kind of continued, and then yeah, oh, and then after high school, the day the day I finished seventh form, my grandmother passed away. So my auntie had this house to herself, you know, at the age of seventeen, eighteen, um, in, in Hastings, and she's like, "We come up and um, live with me. We'll, we'll do fruit picking over the summer." And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds cool. You know, like sort of leaving home. You know, mm. that's quite exciting." So um, I caught the bus up. She picks me up from the bus station and takes me straight to the Dole office and signs me on for the Dole. And I'm like, oh, I thought we we're going to go fruit picking. She's like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, have some, have some income because you can earn a certain amount of money on top of your Dole. And, you know, if there's no work here yeah. and there. I did, I did like half a day of squash weeding and I was like, fuck this. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the Dole. Yeah. And the day I arrived, I rang Paul, as I always did. And he's like, hey, man, we're having an end of school party. And, and Hastings, like, right across from the school, someone's house, in a garage, and, oh, great, because I knew heaps of the people, you know, because lots of people from my school had ended up there, I, I, you know, my auntie was in their class, so, you know, I got to know a, a whole lot of those guys, and went to this party, and Paul and Davey's band was playing in the garage, and that was Louise Guillotine, and previously they'd been called the Scruffs. That's right. Then they were a four-piece, and then one guy left, and, because I think, I think Paul would play guitar in Scruffs. I don't think I, think. I ever saw the Scruffs, but I, de- I yeah. definitely remember that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So they did a, a mix of sort of originals and like violent themes and yeah. really into the Dead Milkman, that band Dead yes. Milkman. yeah. And then I saw, and Paul had his head shaved like a monk, like a bowl cut with a, you know, what do you call that? Yeah. Like that ball patch. And, um, and they were all just... All those Steiner guys just marched to the beat of their own drum. They weren't really concerned mm. with what the fashion was at the time, yeah, yeah. you know, which I, at the time was really weird to me, but I really respect that now, and that kind of set the tone for our band later. Yeah. And um, 
so I just watched them and they just blew me away that because I started going to gigs in Wellington at this point mm. I'd seen he'd like a hole and she had when I was in, snuck into gigs underage and it was mind blowing they were yeah. mind blowing yeah but to see my friends playing you know it wasn't with the big production or anything but they were really good and they mm. and I remember this band did it he'd like a hole they did fish across face you know which yeah, was yeah. like wow which you know I, I turned Paul onto them through my radioactive tapes so mm. it was like this hey I'm kind of involved here yeah you know? yeah yeah and you know it just blew me away and they were all drinking like you know I remember Davey was 15 and he had like you know big bottles of cider I discovered cider that summer <laughs> and um, yeah it was just it was just kind of like quite a pivotal moment yeah, for me yeah. you know and because I'd sort of gone up having already experienced some shows in Wellington sort of thinking hey, yeah I know what's yeah, up yeah, yeah. I know what's up and I'm going to go and show these guys talk to them about some gigs you know and then but they were Louis Guillotine that band so uh, they were playing yeah every week at um, in, at this venue in Napier called it was called the Iron Pot but it became Jester's yes. Court yep and they were so they I don't know, I must have had a residency, but every week we were going to watch them play. And um, and then they would play with a bunch of sort of local bands, and one that they would connect up with often was a band called Uncle Shirk, which was Anton and his brother Oscar. And um, they would just, they were sort of like, just do grunge, grunge covers of the time, yeah. I guess, you know. Um, Jane's Addiction, but, you know, mm. um, Smashing Pumpkins, that kind of stuff, which was great at yeah, the time, yeah. you know, at the time I was like, wow, and they did them really well. And so that's how Anton and and Oscar, you know, hooked up with with Paul and um, Davey. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then, so I guess that was 90, the summer of 93, 94. Then I came back to Wellington and... Doing having been that audience member, and at high school the the watcher of people playing yeah, music, yeah. I was quite daunted. Didn't knew I wanted to be involved in music, but didn't think I could play. So what if what do you do? You go and be a music writer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I um, went to politics, yeah. and because um, I'd done journalism at, at 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 high school, and sort of I I remember getting a. Um, an article about death metal published in the Evening Post, and it was like, yes, yeah, wow. this is yeah, this yeah. is going to set me on the road. So yes. I went, I went and um, <laughs> I went and did a six month course at Polytech, which was like the foundation course to the journalism. Yeah, and there were people sort of five, ten years older than me, and I was fresh out of high school, and they were a lot more driven and and better yeah. <laughs> than me. So I was just like, oh, this is a bit daunting. So I sort of put that on the back burner and just went and worked as a storeman, you know, just did sort of sh- shitty jobs yeah. to to pay board at my parents' house mm. and, and then... Buy to, music and Yeah, yeah and rent, and yeah, yeah. And, you know, so I left home in 94. Oh, no, so Paul moved down. That's right. Paul moved down while I was at Polytech. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm really into checking out the Wellington scene, you know. Let's go and let's meet up and go and see some bands. And so, okay, who's playing? And... Um, it was Bilgefest Bilge Festival were yep. playing it was their album release and it was like okay I've heard these guys they're on Wildside that's She Had and Head Like a Holes label so they must be okay you know yeah yeah um, I've never heard them but I've heard the name we'll go and check them out and um, the opening band was Short who who used to play a lot in, in Wellington mm. as well and yeah but just 
that was kind of the spark right there Paul, Paul and I Paul was like these guys are awesome yeah it's like because he wasn't really into the the long haired head like a whole she had sort of mm. they come from the metal side he was more into the he had, he had a real folk kind of a influence there yeah. he was really into the pixies and violent femmes and um and, and yeah, like a, a lot of weird folk stuff, I guess from from his parents. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, So, which wasn't typical of someone our age then, you know. But he didn't. He managed yeah, to beat yeah, his own yeah, drum, so yeah. he didn't. He was just oblivious to that. So when he saw these guys, he was like, "These guys are great. They're not that kind of long-haired stuff." Yeah. Well, he didn't use that word, but that's the vibe, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were. Yeah. He would. They were just different, and he he said, "Yeah, I want to." I want to form a band and do gigs with bands like this, you know. And so, um, and we knew Anton was moving down to go to university, and so they hooked up and started. I remember being present actually at at, their, at Paul's flat, and Anton came around, and Paul's original plan was to play acoustic guitar, like sort of a yeah. A, like a Pixies kind of a thing, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then have, have an electric electric underneath. Yeah, 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 over yeah. The top. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so Paul had, you know, sort of five or six songs and he, he would strum them out and then Anton would... Noodle. Noodle over the top. And I remember, like, this was the first... You know, Anton had never heard these songs and he just starts noodling these really cool lines. And I was like, wow, you know, like, yeah. these are, you guys are amazing, you know, this yeah. is great. And then Paul said, well, why don't you play drums? Because my dad was a yeah, drummer, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and... You'll be able to... Yeah, yeah. Casual. Yeah, 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 I, th- yeah. I think that's what it was. Yeah, like, yeah. I've got access to drums, and my dad's got. We can PA. rehearse. Yeah, yeah, we can rehearse at your parents' house. Is what it was really about. <laughs> and um, I was like, okay, yeah. And, and Paul and I had had uh, play once in one of those, those school holidays sessions at his house in Hastings, and I played the drums because I, I, you know, I had drums in the house. I could, yeah. I could keep a beat. You know, I wasn't very proficient, but yeah. you know, I. I I, I had I really wanted to sort of run before I could walk, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I wanted like to, pretty much, yeah. That sits down behind a yeah, totally. So you know, I'd, I'd play four bars and then I'd be trying to do bottom no, triplets. Yeah, and, no one yeah. wants to learn no how to sit anywhere near no. a pocket, let no. alone in it. They want to get yeah. to the fill. Yeah, yeah. As soon as they can, yeah, as how often do as they that? can, right? Like, yeah, but I remember we'd had a, him and I him on guitar, me on drums, and his little sister Julie on bass, and we played. I think he heard like a whole song in a Black Flag song, and it was it was like far out. That was fun. That was the first time I'd ever played music, like rock music, with anyone, yeah. you know. And it was yeah. fun. And so I was like, oh yeah, I could play drums. I'm not very good, but I'm sure I could get it, you know. And then we heard word that Davy was going to be moving down as well, who was the drummer from mm. Guillotine. And then he's like, oh, well, Davy's going to play drums. You play bass. I've got I've got a bass because <laughs> he was the bass player in yeah, yeah, yeah. Guillotine. He's like, yeah. play that, you know. I was just thinking. I was thinking as you were getting to the playing bass but that you've that's that's another great to the disservice of so many bass players that's another great cliche about want to join a band but can't play yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't it yeah, you know after after true. after being a rock writer yeah it's oh we'll just give him the bass yeah and it's so unfair to so many <laughs> great yeah, bass players but, yeah, totally. but it was the thing and, yeah, it and was. possibly still is the yeah. thing that uh, you know it's the easiest instrument to get someone quickly proficient at and yeah. to maybe cover up yeah around yeah so I had no idea how to play and my my, my fingers couldn't really stretch you know I, yeah. I, I thrashed out some power chords on, 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 on guitar but 
wasn't used to the stretches, but but you know both those guys, Paul and Anton, were both encouraging and, and good teachers. You know, a- Anton is a jazz musician, mm. plays mm. saxophone and piano, and he can play anything really. And um, so he would sort of show me, you know, oh, that you know that's that's an A, and up there is an A as well. It's an yeah. octave up and stuff like that. And um, and just and Paul would be just like, well, just follow what I'm playing. You you know, and he'd been a bass player, so he's like, you play that, doom 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 doom. Yeah. And yeah, it was. I mean, it was pretty sloppy at first, and I know that they had had some sort of clandestine meetings about whether whether they might want to get another bass player. But right. I'm pretty sure that that practice room because we were practicing at my parents' yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was sealing yeah, the deal. Yeah, yeah, So there was amps, PA, and yeah. a drum kit. So yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, okay, well... We're just going to hope yeah. this guy gets good enough. Yeah, yeah. And and so we started in February. I found, as I was going through these tapes, I found our first band practice tape, which was February 95. Yeah. And we had our... We were playing... We played a house party in Hastings in April, I think, you know, yeah. so it was pr- not long before we were... Because Paul had five or six songs and we played a couple of covers... Yeah. Initially, and um, yeah, so we, we would go. Because I remember very quickly around, I mean, obviously there was this connection. Some of my friends from school, three or four of them, had seen Louis Guillotine and um, and then had had essentially followed somehow the progress through to early letterbox lambs. But I remember very quickly and being sort of led by them, there was a bunch of us, a small bunch of us that, you know, Paul Trigg suddenly was a very important Kiwi songwriter to us. Yeah, you know, right. like there was, there was near, you know, there wasn't quite a hierarchy in a list, but there was obviously there was Neil and Tim Finn and Dave Dobbin. People were aware of them, and then you know there was, I guess Graham Downs and Martin, you yeah. know, from the Chills and yeah. Martin Phillips and 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 whoever else, you know, the Kilgores and and all these sort of people. But very quickly there was this guy who we or some of us at least had seen just playing in house parties yeah right yeah was to to a small handful of us like one of the one of the great new hopes of kiwi songwriting yeah well yeah it's, it's interesting to hear it from that side i mean I, I definitely knew from those house parties there's that strong steiner mm. connection so you know like our first gig was at in, at davy's mum's yep. house he had a shared a sleep out at the back it, and it was just like Steiner kids with woolly hats doing funny dancing. It looked like it reminds me of that when I see that Villains yeah, yeah, the Maiden yeah, video, yeah, yeah. it's a lot like that without right, the rabbit, yeah, yeah. the bunny rabbits hopping around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was a lot like that, and and we did it as a three piece because Anton, Anton had other obligations, which was kind of a sign of things to come. But um, <laughs> so we did it as a three piece, and we did another house party up in Ahuriri or something like that, yeah. um, and, as a four piece, and then we did our first show at Bodega, which was a Wednesday night. It was mm. a free free show with uh, some friends. Oscar's band came down from Napier to record um, at OMW with Dave Berry and um, and Peter Jameson and, yeah. and those guys. And that was amazing, going to see friends of ours in a recording studio. Yeah, yeah. Just like, wow, that sounds awesome. That was sort of like a Rage Against the Machine style kind yeah. of, you know, that kind of band. But... They said, "Oh, you guys, we did, we we're going to book a gig while we we're there. You guys open, and it was a free night, and it, so it's packed." Yeah. And just we just got a good response from. You know, we had a full house straight away, so we, we and and we 
they, they like us. So, and, and we really early on as well, the, the older crowd liked us, the bodega, regular, sort yeah. of more cynical yeah. crowd sort of took a liking to us, which was pretty cool. Because you had to win them over, eh? Yeah, like, yeah, they, yeah. You know, I remember that, like, because yeah. they didn't pay the door charge when yeah. there was one, and they didn't, they had the right to kind of yeah. boo at yeah. anyone they didn't like, even though they weren't there for the gig in the first place. Totally. But if you could win them over, yeah. you were fucking set. Yeah, you, they could yeah. stop your sound check if the rugby yeah. was on. You yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... Yeah, we didn't kind of realise it at the time. We just thought, oh, these guys are being nice to us. But later on, it was like, wow, they're not nice to everyone. That's, yeah. We're, we're pretty lucky. And so when did you start to feel competent as a player and like you, there wasn't a tension around whether you were letting the side down and oh. when you developed? Did you ever feel that? <laughs> when did yeah. you feel that? And also, maybe tied to that, when did you, I mean, obviously you were a, a fan of what Paul was doing because he was a friend and in a, in a way, I mean, the way you're telling the story, I kept wanting to jump in and say, it feels like you might have said to someone at some point, yeah, Paul and I play the guitar. He just does it. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah, actually yeah. plays it, but you felt like, you know, you're so connected yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. we're doing this together. He's he's actually the arms and the brain behind it, but I'm the support crew, so we're yeah. invested in it. When did you move away from just that and and go fuck this guy's got something and and is a great songwriter and also you know another thing I'm just thinking about now is such a key element to to us uh, listening to the Lambs was um, this unapologetic Kiwi accent which is which is there in a lot of our you know Kiwi music but it was so prominent yeah um yeah so I started feeling I mean I never felt like I was a uh really great yeah. bass player yeah I, I until I, I I guess a lot of people would sort of compliment me you know a few years later you yeah know, like hey I really like your tone or, yeah yeah um but I, I that that whole sort of feeling like my place might not be secure that passed really quickly yeah. and and you know we, we we were a tight unit and yeah. um you know pr- pretty quickly I, I came up to speed I guess you know yeah and then, you know, you mentioned the sort of Paul being my, my arms. Yeah. I Pretty early on, because I would practice in my room. I was on the doll. Yeah. <coughs> so I'd practice in my room. And I'd just sort of noodle around on the bass. And then Paul would come home and I'd say, hey, I think, what's, check this out. And he, and always encouraging. He'd be yeah. like, hey, that's really cool. We could, I reckon we could do something with that. Yeah. And then he would play a guitar thing over it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so that's how my contribution to writing yeah. music sort of yeah. started, you know. And um, and and also um, he he early on he was doing the acoustic thing. Around that time, I played him some Black Sabbath. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that collection, backtracking. Yes, you know, which was a big. That was yeah, a yeah, great, it was yeah. a great compilation. Yeah, I I, gave, I had it on tape. Yeah, I, like, I had the tape. You have it, and 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 he just, he, I remember he played it so so much, and he would, uh, you know, play along with the salt Tony Iommi solos and stuff like that, yeah. and then from that he, he was like, oh no, I want to play electric. You know, I want to play electric guitar and do this kind of stuff, yeah. and that's kind of how the, the twin. Yeah, lead thing kind of started. I think you know, yeah. like like Anton was doing them, and then 
for a laugh, Paul would join in as a harmony. It was like, hey, well, that's actually really cool, you know? Yeah. Like, and then that kind of became a thing, you know? So did you have bass guitar kind of heroes? Did you have them before you played bass? I imagine Cliff Burton, yeah, because yeah. of the, um, you know... The, the Bay Area thing. And, and, and also him dying, yeah. you know, the worship of him yeah. as a kind of figure within Metallica... Yeah. You know, who who prematurely mythology. left the band in mythology, yeah. exactly. Um, but as a listener, were you hooked on bass players or did you become quite hooked on them after picking up the instrument? No, like I, um, I, yeah, Cliff Burton was one, like, I mean, he's a big influence more as the kind of guy, just as a guy, not yeah. really as. Yeah, not because of what he yeah, plays. Yeah, he's an amazing bass player, sure. but I've never sought to emulate no. that. Um, yeah, um, Fugazi, yeah, you know, like that was a big band for that was sort of the band we all had in common, you know, like um, all another one of those things like the Jane's Addiction yeah, thing yeah, where yeah. where it um sort of genreless, yeah, or, you yeah. know, like brings people in who normally gravitate to other genres, they yeah. can find a common. Oh, actually, Jane's Addiction, like I, I definitely spent a lot of time listening to them, yeah, prep and playing along on my bass to try and get up to speed, you know, because I yeah. really wanted to play in this band. Yeah. And so Eric Avery from, from Jane's Addiction, yeah. you know, who, who I found out later wrote a lot of the music. Yeah. And then Fugazi was a funny one because I'd never heard that kind of music where the bass is almost playing the song a lot of the time and the mm. guitars are off doing this craziness. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is something we kind of ended up doing a bit, yeah. a lot more of. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Joe Lally from Fugazi. Yeah. His kind of he almost had like a reggae kind mm. of thing as well going on, um, yeah. But not you know I didn't really buy bass player yeah, yeah. magazine and no, no, study no. up on them, but yeah, I, you yeah. know I'd appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, um, oh, in the Kiwi accent, yeah, that was just Paul. You know, like because Paul was actually born in the UK. Um, yeah, I know that's yeah, what's yeah. kind of quite funny about yeah. It's all because it's always you see anything. I mean, I don't know that the letterbox lambs have been extensively written about but I know reviews from the time it mm. would always get mentioned mm. this Kiwi twang and this Kiwi voice and, and it was always the you know that was a sticking point for a lot of people um, yeah it, it, not, and not, a selling, not accent, a selling point for others yeah it's right you know yeah, you either yeah, yeah. loved it that was what you loved about the band yeah. or that was what you couldn't get past you know and yeah. I know a lot when we were talking to record labels and stuff they, they were that like struggled yeah, with it. The, yeah. yeah the, the singing but it wasn't like we ever were like, oh, well, we've got to change that. It was like, well, that's how he yeah. sings, and that's yeah. us, you know. So, um, he, you know, he was born in the UK. His mum's a Kiwi, and then that moved here when he was quite, you know, like yeah, young, yeah. three or four. But he still maintained a bit of this. He had this really kind of, and still does have this unique way of talking. It's kind of hard yeah. to explain, but it was just Paul, you know. And, yeah. and then, and he sung that way as well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was just... So, so this band, but before when I sort of brought up the band before you gave us the, the the story of how the band actually came about, this band gets to this point where you're playing gigs, touring, opening, and then it takes a wee while for the album to come out. The first album comes out. Oh, ages, yeah, two thousand. Yeah, so a solid four full years, yeah, yeah. Five, five from five, yeah, five yeah, 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 from the first rehearsal, yeah. but four from at least four from when anyone's heard of the band. Yeah, and you play to put an album together. Yeah, so yeah, I mean a lot happened, and we record, we did record. You yeah, know, we recorded a tape. Yeah, um, that was received really well, and got we got a lot of uh, B net 
yeah. play all, all five of the tracks got playlisted, which yeah. was pretty cool at the time. And then we did another recording session, um, and then that one of the tracks ended up on the compilation Info City Overground yeah, yeah. in 97, yeah. you know, so we recorded that in 96 and we did about four or five tracks there. And then we did another, we got some kind of grant that never happened again. It was like a Rian scheme where you get to record a song and we recorded at Marmalade Studios and some other band, a Christchurch band, an Auckland band recorded a single as well so we recorded one song that was this way's down and that got put out on warners funnily enough and and our song lead was the sort of lead the single you know it was the, yeah. the sort of was the the um yeah it was three bands but ours was first and and then that happened right when um uh channel z was and John Diver, who, who was the station manager yeah, at the time, yeah. just jumped on that song. He, he, he they playlisted the Info City track, which is called The Kelp, and, um, and then I think they'd done Carry On from the first tape, but he jumped on that and, like, just they generally thrashed that song, and that was kind of, that really, you know, like, yeah. You could really there was a real shift there as soon as you know we would go and play like bands in the square or, yeah yeah or all ages gigs and when that song came out you, the mosh pit would form yeah. sort of thing and yeah. it was like oh wow yeah that's really taken off and then so right after recording that song so that was 97 uh davy left the band and we got oscar who was in, in anton's brother yeah you know so it wasn't a stranger and you know still part of the family literally um he joined the band and then and we were sort of starting to get a, a bit more rocky i guess a bit louder yeah a bit more less song songwriting you yes. know like, like it wasn't it was less idiosyncratic <clears throat> yeah 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 it was more initially you know the first batch of songs that we recorded on that tape were paul's songs that he had before yes. and then but he was really open to collaboration really early so we were all sort of throwing in bits and pieces and you know like I would I would ha sort of plunk these things out these ideas out on bass like hey this is actually a guitar line can you can you yeah, do yeah. that and and then they would do it but do it way better and yeah and you know st stuff like that and then but it would kind of be a bit of a mishmash like oh here's that pit that Jules had and we'll kind of sandwich it in with yeah yeah with that bit that yeah. we already had that was kind of doing nothing and so you know like there was a bit of cut and paste kind of yeah style going on and and so Oscar brought more of a. David had that great kind of driving pixie. Yes. Really reliable. Love his drum. Play. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and then Oscar brought more of that kind of bombastic. Uh, and he was into like doing. Yeah, yeah. Time changes and. Yeah, yeah. Kind of unexpected things. A bit more jazzy. Yeah, yeah, more, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Prog and yeah, jazz. Yeah, prog, and prog, probably more yeah, prog. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Prog jazz and. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we kind of went off in that direction. Listen to a lot of Primus, did he? <laughs> Probably did in yeah, his day, yeah, actually, yeah. in Tool. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but funnily enough, I, I, you know, I was going through, the, you know, the archives to get yeah. some of these tapes and stuff, and we do have a whole lot of that early period that, you know, because it was four or five years when we recorded yeah. our first album. 
I'd quite with the dawn of Bandcamp and stuff. I yeah. think I'm going to compile that early stuff and just yeah. put out an early, yeah. an early years cool. kind of a digital yeah. album. Yeah, do it. Yeah, because um, the second album came out after uh, after, after we split. You split, right? So yeah, yeah that yeah, came yeah. out 2005. Yeah, we. So what happened was Paul knew he was gonna. Um, you know, he's like, hey, I'm moving to Melbourne. Um, yeah, his partner at the time had got a job there right. well, stores part of his wife now yeah. um, <clears throat> had got a job they were moving to Melbourne and he was going to join cassette you know, yeah. so he could keep playing music and they yeah. were friends of ours and um, and it was like okay cool we'll, well, we'll bummer but yeah, you yeah. know we had what a good run do, yeah, 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 yeah. so it wasn't it wasn't acrimony really, oh not at all just, not at all yeah, yeah, yeah. and in a way like I think you know we're we're a bit of an oddity in, in the you know amongst our peers in that we sort of we almost quit while we were ahead in a way like yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're, we're at a bit of a creative crest could have been a lull yeah 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 it wasn't a lull it was yeah, yeah. you know and, and could have been if you'd hung on yeah yeah, yeah yeah totally and um so and and we all we were all still really on good terms you know yeah. uh, like we, we were all it was just like, oh, it's come to an so end. So you sort of just shake hands. And yeah, yeah, and so so it was like around the decision of him moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a drag, but because it, mm. it had been such a big part of our lives, but mm. it was like, okay, well, you, Paul's leaving the end. We'll book a gig here. We've got this time in between, and we've got these songs, and we've got some money in the bank. Um, you know, not much. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. I'll, We'll talk to Mike Gibson. Yeah. At, at, at Inca Studios, it was at the time. Yeah. Um who'd done our first album and just said hey I said to him look um, we've got this much money I just want to jump in the studios and just sort of jump in the studio and you know just record them live you know the, the first album was very produced and multi-layered and, yeah. and I just wanted to go the other way with the next one just like not have <clears throat> any guitar overdubs just have Paul on the left and Anton on the right or, or vice versa but yeah, you know yeah. a guitar on each side and you know, just play, play it all. We're not going to borrow any. You know, we borrowed sixteen snare drums or something. Yeah, yeah. Album. None of that crap. You know, it's just like we're going to do it on our own gear. Because we, we that, that first album was a re- really hard birth, and you know, when I when I listen to it now, a lot of people really like it, but I have a lot of trouble listening to it um, as a you know from front to back, and it and it really. I don't know if it sort of represented what we really sounded like. It's it's sort of it's quite a beefed up, yeah, um, produced. I remember thinking that at the time. Yeah, yeah. It took me a few. Uh, I was like, oh, I need to approach this as something different. Yeah, because yeah. I, yeah, I still had in my ears the slurry tape. Yeah, yeah, right. You yeah, know, yeah, that, yeah. That that that's all sort of detuned sounding yeah, and you yeah. know primitively recorded. But that was how I. Yeah come to the band yeah yeah so I still had that in my ears in a way when I first listened to the first record yeah and you, you, you would say that there's two different bands yeah yeah essentially yeah yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and I remember a lot of people like oh this doesn't really sound like you guys live and I was like oh fuck bummer so the next time um, I was like okay well I really want to just go for that Steve Albini approach of like band in yeah. the room good, getting good sounds but yeah. getting honest sounds you know yeah, and yeah. so and I think we really succeeded with that yeah. with that album. I remember we started mixing the first song, and Mike was sort of like, "Oh yeah, we'll do this and this," and and, and I was like, "No, nah, none of that, none of that sort of like effects on the drums or anything. Let's just 
and and it was almost like it was too easy. We, yeah. We, he was like, "Are you sure?" And I was like, "Yeah, no, it sounds good." And then once once we got over that first song, it was really easy to mix, hmm. and comparatively, and so I think Paul laid down the last vocal of that on his way to the airport. You know, so it was sort of literally just going to be we're just going to document these songs. Wow. Uh, it'll be moment for us. in time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And yeah. you know, it was it was. I mean, it's still, still, uh, uh, you know, an, a, a decent amount of money, but it was cheap compared to the first one. So, it was like, uh, you know, we, yeah. we'll, we can either divvy this money up or we can just do yeah. this, you know. Yeah. And um, so, and then it just, and then I mixed it like over the sort of following months after he'd left, and then just sent out copies, and they're like, "Oh man, awesome, sounds great." And then yeah. it just sat on the shelf for yeah. for a few years, and then um, I ended up hooking up with. Um, Aaron Dustin, who he's now known as the Red Peak Flag guy. Yeah. Um, but he ran um, a web shop that did, um, amongst other things, NewZealandMusic.com and stuff. So, you know, and that, that was sort of mm. in the early 2000s, the rise yeah, of, yeah, of, of yeah. that whole thing. And, and um, you know, and he was a big Lambs fan, you know. So he, he, he um, and he, 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 he wanted, he wanted to sort of, get a label going I think he had, well, he had ideas of getting a label going and um, and he, he said oh I'll put the put the Lambs album out on the sort of music.com-ish mm. label you know and it's like okay cool yeah if you, great you know like if someone else because mm. we were I wasn't going to go and get it pressed up cause, yeah yeah because it's like there was no point so he was like okay well he got the CDs pressed that's his record label actually destroyed yeah wearing the t-shirt and um and he put it out. On, he made up this label, and um, we put it out on that in conjunction with the label, our the label that I'd sort of started to put out our music. You know, yeah. we were sort of DIY at that yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Actually, just um, to segue a bit, I was thinking when you um, talking about the sort of start of music online in the early yeah. 2000s and late 90s, and well, particularly early 2000s. So you sort of got involved in that. In a way, too, with smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about my, that a bit? Because that, that's kind of interesting. I was thinking that's kind of interesting. Like, it's funny. It's so, you know, in a way, that's more primitive seeming probably now to people than someone pouring over a record cover. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, looking right, at right. liner notes, in a way, it's sort of almost more archaic that people would click a button to buy, buy a CD, CD online yeah, and yeah. someone would parcel it up and send it off to them yeah yeah and yeah. yet I, I remember writing an article for uh you know for salient when I, uh, for the university rag in about the year 2000 i think it must have been i remember writing a about a thousand word article called buying cds online where mm. i went to smoke and i think there were two other places yeah newzealandmusic.net or yeah. .com whatever it was yeah and i i sort of had to write about yeah you know what I thought of the without yeah. actually purchasing anything like yeah. wouldn't give, there was no budget for it so right, I couldn't yeah, actually, yeah, couldn't actually I had to like talk about the experience of visiting mm. the site and and the and the terms and conditions of like receiving it within right two yeah, to three yeah. days yeah. And whether whether people paid postage or not and that just seems actually in a weird way more archaic than yeah right listening hey, to tapes and records it's moved so fast <laughs> yeah I mean that seemed like the future ten yeah. years ago yeah and um so again, just through through Aaron um, and him being a fan of my my 
of mine in my, in my band, you know, yeah. it's just like, oh, you come over and... I think I, I actually wrote sort of a, a little piece on the end of the letterbox lands for NewZealand.com. Yeah. And they were like, oh, we like the way you write, you know, yeah. you want to come and sort of manage this online CD store and, and, and you know, because I'd worked in warehouses, I worked sort of crappy warehouse jobs. Yeah. <clears throat> while I was playing the band, you know, it was mm. just sort of income. But then that had been like 10 years and it was yeah. like, fuck, enough is enough. I need yeah. to, and the band's finishing, I need to think of, a career yeah, what's around. next. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. that was, I need in and out. And yeah, so they got me, you know, my sort of warehousing skills that, you know, came yeah. to play with the distribution side of it. But then I could get into the writing stuff that yeah. I'd actually sort of had aspirations to do when I was younger. So it was great. Mm. And, um, and yeah, yeah. I, when I started, it was still at the peak, you know, like that first, I remember that first Fat Freddy's album yeah. coming out and we, tr we shipped Couldn't thousands of yeah, those, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. 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 Like we were all hands on deck packing that yeah. thing, packing the CD to yeah. people, <laughs> you know, but the band, our band kind of, was it, I was thinking about it, it was a really awkward sort of time to be in a band because it was pre-internet you know yeah 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 so a lot of a lot of our stuff's not online you know I'm, yeah. I'm going to get it up on Bandcamp but it's it, so it's pre-internet and also but making an album was still really fucking expensive mm. you know mm. Mm. so so we're you know since then Pro, the Pro Tools has sort of come out yeah yeah, yeah. And, and people are just knocking out these yeah. really good albums yeah. for no money yeah you know, we're, we're and the focus doesn't need to be on the album either. Like yeah. people are just sending a track out into the world. Yeah, totally. Or, or and, and there's no, there's no yeah. physical production yeah. costs. So we were sort of in this really sort of weird yeah. in between time where it still costs heaps to record. You had to go and get a, a thousand pressed or whatever, yeah, and yeah. then you had to like do all that PR kind of yeah. if you if you wanted to sell any, yeah, you had to yeah. sort of push it out to the magazines and promo and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And now that all that you know, that's all done through social media. So where does the when do you start? Because the other thing you've done is well, that I really want to talk to you about is, I guess for want of a term, the kind of noise music. Mm. And this is a an area that some people hide from or run away from as soon as they hear it. And it's also an area that people ha has sort of dedicated fan base, mm. quite quite fanatic. Um, how do you sort of find your way into that? And I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I want to be respectful of the idea that for myself, as, as a person who likes a lot of improvised music across, you know, noise and free jazz and ambient metal and, and, and whatnot, um, I, I, I always want to sort of be respectful of the idea that actually a big fascination in it is kind of in wondering when not you're listening knowing. to it, and yeah, not knowing, yeah, yeah, yeah. and wondering how it's created. But I wondered how you came to it and what sort of process. Oh, okay, yeah. So, what um, the sort of processes for you? Well, you know, I was into, I was into a lot of listening to a lot of um, ambient. You know, those Eno ambient records, yeah. and I was also into a, like um, bands like Le Bradford and Stars of the Lid. You know, Flying Nun had put out that Le Bradford album, yes. and that was a real game-changing album for me. And then. I, Stars of the Lid were on the same American label as them, so I'd sort of, there was this cool mail order guy in Nio that would sort of send out these lists and we would all buy records off him and I discovered so much of what we now call post-rock kind yes. of music, you know, Mogwai and 
Yeah, yeah. And um, so I was sort of getting into that stuff, and, and <clears throat> you know, you can kind of not so much, but a little bit in the lamps on the atmospheres and, and, yep. and those lamp, like those lamps albums, you can kind of hear a little bit of that coming through. Yeah, again, that sort of comes from Fugazi and stuff. Like yeah, that too, yeah, Slope like, and Slope yeah, was yeah, a, yeah, another yeah. big band, you know, like. Um, yeah. And so, and then, so I was, I was aware of the size of the lip thing, and then I was, I started going out with um, this girl, and she, and we went, her dad was a musician, and she said, oh, my dad's playing at Space, Jeff Henderson's Space in Newtown, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go and check it out, and this was really early, you know, we'd only mm. sort of started dating, and then, um, so we one of our first dates was going to watch her dad play as part of Virtual Cat Motel. Oh, right, yeah. And I was aware of Campbell, because he was in a band called Cowcatcher, yeah. who were around at the same time as the Letterbox Lambs, so we sort of were aware, we knew each other, yeah. sort of, you know, of each other. Yeah. And then, and so her dad, Bill, um, was playing sort of drone John Cale kind of Velvet Underground violin right. over what Campbell was doing his get loud guitar stuff then and it was really cool and and I, and I could see these moments of this kind of Stars of the Lid ambient drone mm. stuff that mm. I really liked mm. and and this was my first time meeting Bill you know her, her, her dad yeah and you know I said hey you know I really dig it and he was aware of my of me, me my band and you know so, yeah yeah and you know even though he's literally old enough to be my dad we we and we're quite different people. We've got a lot of we're quite similar in a lot of ways as well, and and, and kindred spirits. I yeah, guess. yeah. And and it wasn't long after that he gave me a, a CD, R a CDR of his solo thing, and he's like, "Oh, this is my thing, Third Octave Band. Um, yeah. This is my second album I've done. Check it out." And I really liked it. And it was um, it was sort of the free noise thing, but it was a little a bit more glacial and gentle yeah. and th- than the Dead Sea Crazy kind of, um, which I which I, I love a lot of that yeah, stuff, yeah, but yeah. it was a bit more palatable for me yep. coming from the ambient music yeah. kind of place. And then, re- not long after that, so this would have been two thousand, I think, maybe early two thousand one. I can't remember if, if, if it's two thousand two thousand one. He said, "Hey, I'm doing a gig. Would you be interested in coming to play do play with me? You know, like uh, play." And we just did this sort of two guitar, um, lots of effects pedal. You know, I'd never done that yeah, kind of stuff yeah. before. And Anton had always used a lot of effects pedals and things and, and experimented with that kind of stuff. And he'd sort of developed his own little fan base of, like, guitar nerds that would just stick by his yeah. side of the stage and watch what he did. And, he, you know, people like Aaron Tukina, who are, who, yeah. who are really accomplished musicians, would be blown away by Anton's approach, you know, or, 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 and really complimentary. And then yeah. he's, he's a saxophonist, so he'd be like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. really? Okay, cool, yeah, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, was, it wasn't, yeah. well, he was oblivious to what what he was doing, really. And um, funnily enough, at that first gig, Anton was playing jazz free noise saxophone um, on the bill, but we yeah. didn't know. Yeah. I was like, hey, what are you doing here? You know, it was just kind of like <laughs> we're in a rock band together, and I was like, oh, and and yeah, so that that and that was cool. And then so I started doing that. You know, that sort of overlap. Really, I started yeah. doing that in two thousand, two thousand and one. And then yeah, I, th- I think thinking about, I think I'm on. We, like we've done. We would just sort of get together 
you know, because Bill, Bill was sort of essentially my father-in-law for yeah, quite yeah. a few years there. So, yeah. you know, like we, we would go up and sort of... We Hang lived, out. Yeah, we would live in... We lived in, both lived in Island Bay, so I'd just cruise up to see the in-laws. Yeah, yeah. And Bill and I would noodle around in the garage yeah, yeah. and knock out an album, yeah. you know, and, um, and, it would, and it was... We wouldn't really talk about it a lot. It was just we would often sort of just get together and it would often start with like a piece, you know, whatever cake was had been baked that day and a cup of tea yeah and sort of like oh, you know we might say something like oh i might start off loud yeah. you know loud and sort of um trebly or shrieky or whatever oh okay and, and then, see where it goes. yeah 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 or, or often nothing would be said mm. like we, we just got back together to do something for the first time in years recently and we had the cake and tea but we just didn't sort of really talk about what we were going to do and we just set up a gear and one person just starts playing when their gear's set up and the other person joins in and straight away that's that's there you know yeah and we were we were recording in a in his garage so there were lots of sort of you know there were rafters and thing like you could hang things off like saw blades and, yes. and you could sort of little metal percussion and, and, and he, he worked in a laboratory so he'd bring home these sort of glass funnels that you could sort of make cool noises yeah. with and, wow. and he's an acoustics engineer um, you, know, you know going around like getting acoustics of theatres yeah. and stuff yeah. like that so he, he always had a really good ear for recording you know even when we were on four track or yeah. two track sometimes two track tape it, there was, the fidelity was always really good and even you know we like I said we started off on guitar with a fixed lots of effects and then we moved totally away from guitars to sort of contact microphones and yeah and, and then he would go back to a guitar but I would stay on the contact microphones but what it, what it, it always sounded like us weirdly it was sort of like it always had a sound like yeah yeah no I understand that and I always liked it when you couldn't tell what was making the noise it's like yes. is that a guitar yeah or you know and, and it would use a lot of ebo and, and then whenever one of us would do sort of a a slide and you'd hear it's like whoa you can tell you know that you can tell that's a guitar you know yeah that's not we can't do that you know <laughs> could you get to the point where you know it's you guys but listening back you don't actually know which one of you's made the particular yeah, sound definitely, yeah that's definitely. quite that's quite interesting with free music yeah yeah or, or, or um you know some time will pass and he'll play back something and he'll be like listen, listen to what you're doing here and it's like are you sure that's me? I don't remember doing that at all. I remember listening to a track of um, a friend of mine, Dave Edwards, who makes all sorts of music from singer-songwriter stuff to a lot of free yeah. stuff and a lot of field recordings, a lot of tape manipulations. And um, I've done a little bit of playing with him, and I remember listening to a track and saying, hey, that's that track's quite cool. Um, there's some quite fucking weird drumming on that. Who's that? And he's like, don't you recognise your own play? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was sort of like, you know, and I really did not. And yeah, yeah. And normally, I mean, you know, any musician usually recognises their own playing, either with pride or with a cringe. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. Like you, you, you tune to it, and yeah. I had no idea. And it was because I was playing very different from yeah. how I normally would, so that was cool. And yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. And so I was doing I was doing the band thing at, you know, there was an overlap there, and then, yeah. so I would take some of that back, that influence back to right. The, well, that makes a the, lot of sense because I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know that you'd started doing that stuff so early, and because I was going to say, um, I mean, not for any particular reason, but I thought it was interesting that you're sort of in the band. You're you're this bass player, and also not only the notion of rhythm and groove associated mm. with bass, you're also like you become quite a melodic. 
bass yeah. player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then to move to a music that is essentially yeah devoid of yeah uh, well certainly a beat. No, there, no, there that's are, right. There yeah, are yeah. rhythms, but it's there are rhythms particularly through the contact microphone stuff. Yeah. But it's beatless. Yeah. You know, it's you can't count it. No, that's right. It's free in that sense. Um, I sort of took on this role in the in in, in Letterbox Slams as well of a sort of producer as yes. well. When, so I, I I was really involved in mixing the yeah. albums. You yeah. know, like it was basically me and Mike Gibson. Yeah. So um, you know, I got interested in sound and um, manipulating sound and stuff like yeah. that. So yeah. you know, I took that when I did Third Octave Band and then brought back Third some of the Third Octave Band stuff back to the yeah. production stuff as well. And um, although when I started doing Third Octave Band stuff, I didn't. It, it was really separate from music, you know. I, I, it was I sort of almost considered it. It was, it was like oh, this is like an artistic outlet for me. It was almost yeah. like sculpting or something. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah. Um, like an installation. Of yeah, sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then, it, but you know, after a while, it's like oh no, this is music, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and both of it because Bill's a musician as well, and I've played in bands, and you know, he, he at some point it's inevitable that. It's like, oh wow, there's this cool sort of accidental melody coming yeah. out of there, and one of us will sort of lean towards it, and you know there'll be a, a theme rises out of it, or you know it's mm. not. Uh, there's there's a lot of that going on. Like we just sort of can't seem to help it. So you've done some solo kind of works as well, yeah. which you haven't recorded. I recorded those yet? But you've performed. Yeah, I've did. So um, Jacob, um, you know the Hawks Bay connection again. Yeah, right. Knew that I've known those guys a long time yeah. you know and like they're some of my favourite kind of people on the planet really and um uh and a fan of their music no doubt yeah yeah definitely you know and, and, and when they were first starting out we, we got them down yeah. you know pretty quickly like yeah. oh we'll get get Jeff and, and, and yeah. Jason and those and Morris you know get them down to oh, we, we liked their EP and it was like cool yeah and we did that with a few Hawks Bay bands Luma was another one I put out oh, an album yeah, of yeah, theirs yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and you know just like, them, you guys yeah. are great it's that old thing I felt about Louise Guillotine it's mm. like you, we've got to show you to a bigger audience because yeah. you're going to do really well down yeah. here well you know back then it was like you should move down here yeah know? yeah of course that was the, would have been the worst thing that Jacob <laughs> could have done but but Jacob anyway I, I can't remember if it was I think it was probably Jason because he's a bit more gung-ho just like hey bro do you want to play with us you know like a text do a solo thing you know oh yeah and then I, I'm, I think I'm collaborative by nature you know and, and I, I like I like sort of playing with other people and yeah. and and that it, you know ever since taking my ideas to Paul and him yeah well your connection to music has been as a not just as a listener but then as an observer yeah and that's been your entry into yeah, performance yeah. right, right yeah. I, you're part of the band as a silent observer uh, yeah. uh, th- enthusiastic cheerleader you yeah. know like a not, yeah. not a, you know not a roadie but like a yeah, a, 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 a peripheral, an unofficial yeah, 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 talked a lot about she had, she had a lot of music and, and you know so yeah. he, he knew what I was into I'd, I'd given them third octave band stuff yeah. and they'd always been really into it and encouraging yeah. of it so he's like well why don't you do something of your own you know we're just looking for a solo opening act and so I my first show was opening for them and um, 
Yeah, and it went all right. I, I think I really rushed through it. I think I played like 15 minutes and then jumped off and <laughs> jumped that stage and Jeff's like, fuck, are you going to play any more, bro? You know, I was like, no, nah, no, nah, that's it, man. And he's yeah. like, oh, okay. So I don't think I've got any money for that one. <laughs> but then, and then, you know, I think I've played with them like two or three times, you know, and, and each time, I think there's a real appetite for that kind of music is yeah. just the, 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 people's tastes have really changed you know when I first started in Third Octave Band there'd be 20 people there or less and they were all people from the other bands that yes. you were playing with yeah, that yeah, night yeah, and yeah. it was at the space and yeah. now and I know because I played in Black Boned Angel for yes. a while with Campbell Neal as well which was like a drone metal kind yeah. of a band and I, that's when I really noticed wow there's people really coming to see this stuff you know there was a crossover mm. between that that metal and that yeah. avant-garde kind of scene, and um, and so every time I've played with my solo thing, Bachelor of Architecture, I played with Open for Earth was another one. Um, yeah, you, the the applause gets louder each time, you know. Yeah. And so every time I play, I'm like, oh, I've got to record this. I should be recording this. Well, again, it's a bit of that thing I sort of prefaced this this part of the conversation with is that it's interesting. I think the people to see someone making those noises yeah. because like it's a great experience listening to them yeah. like and I've got more and more into listening to on record yeah. um, you know on CD on record um, I guess free stuff yeah, yeah. and improvised stuff and, and ambient stuff um, and the cross section of all of those things but it's always interesting seeing it performed because yeah. I think people well, for myself anyway I know sometimes there's a nice surprise and and, and oh I didn't actually realise that's at all. Well, that, yeah. That, that that's what it takes, or in some cases that that's all it takes. Yeah, in terms you're of, right. you know, the movement, because yeah. you, you know, it's such great headphone music, mm. uh, and and then you just can't help but sort of imagine, what the fuck is going on here? Mm. How is this person doing this? And yeah. sometimes it's incredibly, the concept is difficult, and to come up with it, you know, I'm not trying to belittle it, but the actual requirement to perform it no, yeah. can be quite well you know it's yeah. minimalist music right. in a lot of cases so it can be quite That's yeah right yeah, and yeah. You, you know like so when i'm uh, when I, you're right when i perform when i perform you know like i'm so sort of in it and kind yeah. of nervous because i don't do it that often i've got my head down you look up and there's like a, a whole lot of people in yeah, front of half you circle. checking your yeah, pedals yeah, out yeah, well, yeah. what's he doing there or yeah. You know, like I do, I've got a contact mic, you know, taking a bit of the third octave thing into my solid thing, a, a contact mic on a coal shovel, you yeah. know, bowed, bowed metal kind of sounds. Yeah. And they sound great, you know, yeah. through, you put them through some delays and some yeah. reverbs and they, it sounds like a string section yeah. or, or a weird kind of string section. And people always comment like, wow, you play your shovel, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it's like, yeah, it's... I guess I've been doing it for a while, so I was like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But and lots of other people do that kind of thing, yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah. but but it's still quite new for some people. So um, perhaps maybe to wrap up, you could, we can talk about your sort of super fan, and because oh. um, I know a tiny bit of this, story, yeah. but I feel like I want to yeah. I want to hear a little bit more about it. And um, sure. <laughs> um, so third octave band, yeah, third octave band. Put it. We recorded an album, or half an album, and it sort of sat. On, uh, you know, on the, on the shelf for a while, and we hadn't done anything for a while. And then Bill picked it up and finished it off, and then our friend Anthony Milton released it. Yeah. And it was sort of the first album we'd released when this 
sort of crossover had happened where people were had become quite accepting of that yes. stuff. So I was kind of interested to see. Oh, I wonder if it got picked up anywhere. So I yeah. googled the album title and you know just to see if it got any reviews overseas. And it, I got a hit back. LA Weekly uh, had you know talked about it, and yeah. and and I was like, wow, we talked about it in the same review as Henry Rollins. And I then when I clicked on it, I was like, no, that's Henry Rollins is talking about. Yeah, out us, you know, which was for he me. Had, he has his weekly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he mentioned he mentioned our band, and it was like wow. And um, you know, because as I mentioned before, Paul and I had played jammed on Black Flag songs earlier in the lands when we didn't have enough for a full set. We covered actually covered a Henry Rollins and the Hard yeah. Ones song yeah. called "Carry Me Down." So it was quite weird, you know. I was like yeah. wow. And then there was an email address at the bottom, his email address. So I just sent him a message and said hey thanks for the mention you know like um, bit of a fan yeah well, I didn't, I didn't even know, say that yeah, yeah I just yeah, said yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of uh, yeah, it's, how did you get hold of our, our music yeah and he came back straight away in, in that in that Rollins way like yeah. Jules hey you know that <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah, you know yeah, and yeah. he's like hey, great to hear from, thanks you know getting in touch I'm actually I've actually got quite a bit of your music I'm listening to Apocalypse Now Men which is the name of another CDR yeah. Right now, as a matter of fact, and that blew me away because wow. I put that one out myself. Yeah. Oh, maybe 50 CDRs, you know. Yeah. I, I got them all pressed up and put them out on my little label, and to think that one of those found its way into Rollins' hands, you know. And, and it, so, I mean, people probably people who know him probably know a little bit about this, but this guy is a super fan of so much. Yeah. So music, music yeah. uh, lots of other things within pop culture too yeah. but so much music yeah. and a real collector and because he's such a traveller yeah. with his various occupations he's an, uh, you know, an active collector who goes and picks things up yeah. around the world he, right? he's like yeah and I don't think I was aware of that even as much yeah. you know when, when I emailed him and then we we had a bit of a back and forth I said oh hey look I'll send you a couple of tracks because we, we did an HDU uh, remix actually right that was supposed to come out, Flying Numb were going to put their last album out on vinyl and it was going to come with a remix digital mm. album with some cool people like Bachelorette and mm. um, Rota Plus and, and, mm. and Dino was one of the guys that I've been giving feeding Third Octave Band stuff and he was always really encouraging. He said, do you want to do a remix? So we did a remix of one of their tracks but it never saw the light of day. And we had another track that... I think we did for a compilation that never happened, and it was one of really. It's probably still my favourite track, and um, that we've ever done. So I just said, "Hey, I'll send you these two tracks," you know. And we, so we just this is to Henry. I'll, I'll, I'll you know just drop box you some stuff, and um, so we just sort of had a but little yeah. a little bit of back and forth there, and then you know a couple of months later, I said I said, I was going to the states, yeah, and I said, "Hey." Hey, I'm coming to um, San Francisco and, uh, well, Anaheim. I'm going to Disneyland, but I'm going to be near LA. I just wondered if you had any tips for record record shops. Um, I know about Amoeba and I know about, you know, Rasputin or whatever. And, yeah, he came back. He's like, you know, Jules. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, those are the good ones. Let me know when you're going to be here because, you know, if if I'm – if I'm around, you know, he's a really busy guy. Yeah, yeah, he's Like yeah. super scarily busy. Yeah. If I'm around um, and you want to come over and hang out, that'd be cool, you know? And I was like, fucking hell, you know? Like, that, that's that's really surreal. And yeah. so, that I mean, that was enough 
that was enough of, uh, you know, a buzz right there. But and I just thought, oh, it's never going to happen, and he's such a busy guy. Yeah, yeah. But as but a, just to have that communication. Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. when I got my dates together, I said, hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be here, and then he and then he said, you know, this time, and he said, yep, I'm I'm around, you know, I'm around. How about this day? Um, yeah, we teed up a day, and then, it, oh, and he said, you know email me when you get to the States and, and we'll sort out the details, you know, because I guess yeah. he just doesn't want to give out his details to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, unless he knows you're sort of going to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so um, I emailed him when I got back from the States and, and I didn't hear back for a few days and, and he was always really prompt at replying. So I was like, oh, he's really busy. It's not going to happen. That's cool. Yeah. And then um, the day, I think the day, you know, that we'd sort of, said was going to be the day I was going to go over came we were my family was going to Disneyland and uh, and it was sort of this uh, my, my partner was very understanding you know like well you know if you have to go you know yeah. th- this is quite a big thing you know you, you can you can shoot off and yeah I was like I was probably not going to get in touch but I checked my emails while I'm in Disneyland and he's hey sorry I got you know I'm doing an audition or some voiceover work or whatever and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but I, I, I and I'm writing a book yeah yeah and I'm yeah, recording yeah, an album and yeah, doing, doing a podcast yeah 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 and writing and, a yeah so <laughs> I'm, I'm, but I'm going to be home um, you know at this time come over and so I just left Disneyland right then <laughs> and got an Uber got on the little train <laughs> yeah, yeah got on a little train <laughs> went and had a shower because it was so hot and I was so yeah. sweaty and then um, Ubered from Anaheim to LA yeah. uh, to Hollywood yeah and I didn't know, I'd never been to, you know, we went straight to Anaheim, so I didn't know yeah, LA yeah. at all. Only place I knew in Hollywood was Amoeba Records. So, and I wanted to check it out anyway, so I was just an Amoeba, you know, kind of waiting for the... Yeah. And then, yeah, and then he said, um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I said, hey, Henry, at Amoeba, and he's like, cool, here's my phone number. I called him, and, you know, and it's like the Henry Rollins voice yeah. on the other end of the line, and yeah. he gives me his address, and... Before I know it, I'm Ubering up to, from Amoeba to... Yeah, to, don't, don't, well, you can say it. No, don't say it. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and, yeah, up to his house and, yeah, it was quite surreal. And his door, you know, he's like, yeah, come on, in. You, you just, just, the gate will be open, you know, and, and you know, knock, hello, and I look out the door and, knock, yeah. and I just walk into his house because no one was there. What sort of house does he live in? Is it like a army barracks? Or, you know, like what... <laughs> I imagine uh, he lives in a normal house. But yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's just a nice, normal kind of a. Yeah, yeah. You quite modern. Yeah, yeah, it's this modern place. Yeah. Um and. Um, With CDs everywhere. No, nah, um, he's a records everywhere. Yeah, yeah. He he's a huge music fan. Um, and yeah, he he just had a lot of print, you know, posters, and he's, you know, he's a big collector of like paraphernalia and yeah, paper yeah, and um, gig posters yeah so stuff, like yeah. Fr- nicely framed in photo, original yeah, photos and yeah. prints and so he had a lot of that and then he we yeah there I am just hanging out with Rollins and then he um, and he took me down to he's got like a music kind of uh, wing yeah like a library it's like a library yeah, you know yeah. shelves and it's just mind blowing looking at some of the tape. You know, he had cassettes. You know, Fugazi's first band practice. You know, because yeah, well, he's best friend with yeah, yeah, Mackay, yeah, and yeah. and so you know, like Minor Threat's first band practice, and and just a, he's like an archivist. Yeah, know? well, he would tell the story of him and Ian Mackay the way you have talked about 
yeah. Davy and Joe. Yeah, and, you Paul, know, yeah, yeah, Paul. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's the, that's the that's friendship the sort they of bond. have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, yeah, him having those tapes is like me having yeah. Paul's band's tapes. And, yeah. But he's a real archivist. He's he was sort of in the process of digitising that stuff. I think he wants to make it available. Yes. To you know, or have it at least archived on the net somewhere. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. and just yeah, like I remember he he just sort of had these things, bits of art, and and I picked up this bass, like a pit guard off. Of, I was like, hey, that's a Fender Precision bass pit guard. Like, what, what's this? Picked it up off the shelf, and he said, oh, that that's Phil Linnitz. Uh, <laughs> You know, from Thin Lizzy, that's, you know, and, you know, like, I grew up yeah. with Thin Lizzy. I was yeah, like, holy yeah. fuck, I'm... Yeah. yeah, yeah, so, yeah, and it was cool. We just spent, I spent probably, you know, a good three or four hours here just, and we nerded out on music together, just talked talk a lot about David Bowie. This is before he died, and, um, and I get, you know, we sort of just swapped, swapped a lot of music back and forth, and, um, and he, you know, we talked a bit about the New Zealand, the New Zealand uh, scene, the, yeah. the, the 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 sort of drone noise. Because he's been here a bit now. He so has, yeah. You know. He's really sort of fascinated. At that stage, he was sort of quite keen to come and spend like a week here and, yeah, and right. just sort of absorb the scene. I was like, well, there's not really, yeah. there's, really there's not much of a there's scene, you know? Like, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like we get might get together every once in a while and all play, some, <laughs> play a show, but like, yeah, that hasn't even happened for years. Yeah. Now, so yeah, and I mean. That was about it, and and you know, like I really, I really felt afterwards like oh, there was a real mutual. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you guys, the the sort of archivist curator yeah, sort of yeah. thing, and because I don't, I didn't really talk mutual. about that much, but I I, I had always been that exactly. seatless collector. Yeah, yeah. Collected flyers and posters. I mean, yeah. his collection was much more impressive and much more preserved. And his is, and it's a similar. Um, point of entry to music that he's a music fan I mean yeah. he was a music fan first and foremost yeah. that then moved into yeah I mean he wouldn't even say he's a musician but he yeah. he is because he's got a band named after him and another couple of bands he's been in or guest with yeah. whatever yeah. but but he was a guy that went to gigs first mm. and listened to records yeah that's right and he, yeah he's a, he's just a huge fan you know like yeah. he, and he's a and almost like almost by his own admission, kind of nerdy about it, you yeah, know, totally. like 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 a re- really obsessive kind of uh, collector, and I can yeah, I could really I could really relate. But to I that. think people have warmed to him more and more over the years as he's got more self-effacing. Totally, yeah. You know, like he's like, a really polarizing character, and people yeah. think he's this macho tough guy yeah. thing, which you know he has had that in the past, and he's said a few silly things in interviews. Yeah. In his twenties, that people sort of hold that on. That everyone sees. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, my experience with him was he was this lovely, yeah, and a really cool. I, I got the impression that he's not. He wasn't really used to. He, he's a real. He likes to be alone. He's a loner. He, 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 he likes his own company. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. and he doesn't. He, he's not super comfortable having visitors. So I yeah. felt really privileged. Yeah. To um to to be sort of led into that as well and he was a really cool host and um and then yeah and and, and I had a gig and I had to go and see Stars of the Lid um, yeah. who were playing who just happened to be playing in LA while I was there and sort of before we knew it it was time to go and, and I, so I called a cab and, and and it was just sort of like he was super warm you know yeah. um, and it was like cool we'll um keep in touch <laughs> what, I mean it would have got to you eventually but it you know it would have found its way to you eventually but I love how that all started with you just googling 
yeah. as, as people do. Yeah. To, well, I don't to, normally. No, no. Yeah, yeah. But you know, if yeah. you, if you, a lot of people who say they don't actually. Yeah, do, totally. And and if they don't, someone involved in the project does, and yeah. it gets back to you. So yeah. someone would have eventually said, "Hey, I read Henry Rollins every week, and fuck, he's just you know, I know that. Yeah, that's you true. Know, one yeah, way or another, it would have got, got back to would have got back to you, and you would have ended up googling it to see it. Yeah. And that's how that all started. Because that's right, there was a typo in the article as well. It said we were a half octave band. Ah, oh, right. And, and so it was like, it it yeah. was it was just kind of just a fluke that it popped up on the Google yeah, search. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I genuinely don't normally Google, and I just felt like a bit of a prat doing it. Like, oh, God. <laughs> and then to get that hit, I was like, oh, wow. That, yeah, you know, wow. It was, yeah, it was, and it was cool. And it was, um, and he played us a few times on his... Show. On his show and sort of anybody, he's. I think he always has. He plays a lot of New Zealand music. Yeah. I've heard him playing Pumice and um, yeah. Bat. You remember that band Bat Rider and, and, and the the um, Sarah, yes. Sarah Chadwick who was in Bat Rider. He plays yeah. some of her stuff. And, and he, re- I, I read a thing from him just recently, like since he'd been in New Zealand and Aussie, talking about record stores mm. in Aussie, and he was saying that he, he found some New Zealand pressings of some stuff in Real Groovy this time and how oh, he'd, how he'd um, this is just like a couple of weeks ago, yeah. and how he had been disappointed. He'd, got, he'd had one really good score in Real Groovy about 15 or 20 years yeah. ago when he first yeah. played, because he didn't come to Wellington for a while, he no, just did Auckland. Auckland yeah, yeah. And so this would have been about 20 years ago, and he's like, and then I went back a second time, I was really disappointed, so I've avoided that store forever. Yeah. And then I went to it this time, you know, he remembered yeah. it all. Yeah, he yeah, talked yeah. about he remembered it all and he'd bought like dozens of records from there. Yeah, well, that. The which he does wherever he goes. Yeah, but, I remember him saying something like that, like, oh, it's just too big or yeah. or something. But, now it's in the smaller yeah, location yeah, right. too. It is a better store, actually. And he, we were going to, we were supposed to, um, he was going to send me through like a list of stuff that he wanted and I was going to take him around some record stores when he was here, but it just didn't happen. Yeah, I was going to say, so did you hook up with him when he was here? No, we were pretty going, whirlwind. Yeah, I saw it was. You, I saw you at the show, but. Well, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, I didn't see you. Did we, no, talk? I, we didn't talk. We didn't, no, no, no. Oh. I could just oh, I right. spotted you because yeah, you were yeah. about a row. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were supposed to. Um, yeah. And, and um, I think it what ended up happening was we were waiting for each other at the other end of the venue right. after he played. Right. So I was waiting sort of out in the auditorium and he's sort of out. The, yeah. Out, yeah, and then, yeah, sort of just out behind the stage. And, yeah. And then he got word that the venue had cleared out. So we didn't we didn't connect this time. But, um, yeah. you know, it, it, it's, yeah, it's kind of. Kind of a cool little... Yeah, totally. Um, and it was a good show he did, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've seen him talk before? I'd never have. I'd, right. I'd been a fan of his recorded spoken word yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. You know, like, he was almost... He almost went through, like, a stand-up comedy phase. Yes, I yeah, was, yeah, I was yeah. kind yeah. of a fan of that. Yeah, same. That's, um, that's probably what made me really connect to his spoken stuff. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. That's what I mean. That's where he started to take himself a bit less seriously. yeah. Yeah, and, and so, that was a while ago. I mean, that's about fifteen yeah, years ago. Yeah, when yeah, that yeah. Uh, I think yeah, the album more. is a Rollins in the Rye. Oh, is yeah. the one. Yeah. I think that's the live album where it's he started actually appearing as part of comedy, you know, festivals yeah. and stuff. I watched it. I think it was live something box. It had a skeleton yeah. on the cover. Yeah, yeah. He did the Ronnie James Dio bit and yeah. that I just thought was hilarious. And yeah. I told him that it was cool to be able to tell him yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of stuff yeah. and tell him, hey, my band used to cover your stuff, you know. And, and you know from his, well, you know from meeting him, but you know from his stories that he goes and tells other people yeah, yeah. those sorts yeah, of stories. Yeah. You know, he's, he is that, that's why I say super fan because he is a super fan. Yeah, that's right. Fan and it was, you know, like a, it was a mutual thing, you know. Yes. I could tell that he, he was genuinely into our music and stuff, and yeah, yeah. yeah. so that, wow. was, that was cool. And um, so yeah, that's 
I think that kind of brings us. Yeah, man. So what? So just to wrap up, letterbox lab stuff. You're going to try and get some of the early stuff online. Yeah, yeah. So I've got the early. Yeah, there's an early like an album's worth of early stuff, which is listening to it now. I quite enjoy. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. at the time it was sort of like, oh, we've moved past that. It's yeah, like yeah. really clean, and we're we're way more rocky and heavy now. You know, and but I really like the naivety and I re- actually really like the way it's recorded. It's yeah. nice and clear. And um, so I, I, I don't know. I think I, I, I don't really intend to like shift some units. No, it, no, but no, I just no, want no. to put it. I, and, I think, it and I think people will dig it. Yeah. And then there's, I've got heaps of sort of stuff like demos and live recordings that actually sound all right. Like they're recorded properly. Yeah. I, I thought I might just with Bandcamp. It's so easy. Yeah. Now there's a sort of a whole lot of, in between albums, there was a whole lot of songs that never made any albums but we've got live versions of them I might put do compile an album of that yeah and then I thought maybe uh, I'll you know I'll get the actual proper albums up online as well and it turns out I've got I thought it's, we'd sold out of the first album but my friend moved house and found 500 of them in his roof yeah. like years later yeah, so it's yeah. like hmm, what the fuck am I supposed to do with these you know <laughs> so I've got these boxes of CDs I thought I might just stick those up super cheap and yeah. and put like um, I've still got enough stuff left over to have like a little digital bonus EP yeah, yeah, for cool. each physical sale kind of thing just cool. you know just like a few dollars and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and you're basically paying for the digital bonus and you get this sort of coaster so you're like your own one man smoke CDs <laughs> yeah exactly I will be I will be but you know it still hasn't happened that's the yeah, plan yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll get around to it I've got to convert some and stuff from DAT you know which is a hassle these days yeah um, Yeah. and then your solo stuff yeah I've got to record that record that and 20 year reunion for Letterbox <laughs> Lambs I mean yeah. Fur Patrol did, did it, it Garage yeah. Land did it King Loser are doing it doing right it, yeah, now yeah, yeah. um has that ever been floated? Oh, not 20 years. No, 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 I yeah. just mean in general. Like, well, we actually did a reunion 10 months after we broke up. Um, <laughs> we did like a gig, you know. Um, and then, It's called an encore, not yeah, a reunion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> then, dessert. And, then, and, you know, I, I guess it comes up every year or so. Someone asks, you know, hey, do you want to get together for yeah. this? gig or whatever but it's just um geographically it's a yeah, bit challenging yeah. with the with paul and oscar are both in australia now and families yeah. are involved now but, too, yeah, eh? so. yeah three out of four of us have got families now yeah. anton's teaching music in, in in the hawks bay i mean i know oscar's always really up for it and um but I, maybe uh, just the people's headspaces have moved on a little bit i I'd, I'd personally i'd love to just get together in a room and play music with those guys because yeah they I don't know if it's just because they were it was the first band, but I, I've just something about that chemistry of of the, that combination of people playing together. I've never really come come up uh, against it again, you know. Yeah. So uh, it'd be cool just to kind of see where we're at now and and and, and jam. I'd love to do that, even if we never did a a gig as Little Box Lambs, or if we did a show as something else, you know, or, or yeah. recorded. Well, send them a copy of this conversation, tell them all to <laughs> skip to the very end yeah, first, yeah. and and we'll see if we can get that rolling. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, never say never. I guess I don't. Yeah, I just I just don't know where everyone's heads at. Paul's Paul's recording. You know, I sent you that that yeah, link. Yeah. He's he's recording with Simon from Fur Patrol, and he's going gone back to his more songwriting thing, which yes. is really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only had a quick listen, but yeah. was, that was immediate. Yeah, yeah. I sort apparent. of felt bad. I felt like I sort of 
had um, corrupted him by sort of getting him away from that, but it's cool to hear him going going back to that. Uh, Oscar's done an album under the name The Seaport and the Airport, which is kind of like his electronic... It's quite cool, actually, and um, he's working on another album. Anton's playing with a whole lot of people. He's played with Tropical Downbeat Orchestra yep. at Aya yep. a few years ago. He's playing with Fame Floors at the moment, uh, yeah, yeah. and the, uh, Andrew from yep. played in Garage Land. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's, he teaches music, and yeah, he's just uh, yeah, he's just a mellow, a mellow cat. But I, I don't, yeah, I don't know if he'd ever be up for strapping the guitar back on and. And, right. and doing it, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a former life thing. Yeah, yeah, right. maybe. Yeah, and it is kind of for all of, all, yeah. all of us as well. I, I've never really talked about it with anyone, but yeah. I kind of get the vibe that it's sort of like, um, something we did. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, who knows? <laughs> well, um, hey, thanks for coming around and having a chat. It's thanks been great. for having me, man. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I sort of when you asked me to do it, I was like, Fuck, Sweetman's scraping the bottom, bottom of the barrel here with guests. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I was like, how are we going to talk about? It? Look at that. So yeah, well, there's no commitment this will ever run. Yeah, this yeah, right, just, right. This yeah. is just for my own amusement. Yeah, right, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll see me in MP3. <laughs> <laughs>